Authorized is on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash authorized pod if you want to support us. For $3 a month, you can help us buy these books. For $6 a month, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. And for even more money, you can demand that we read and discuss a certain novelization. Pretty cool. If we get enough listeners, we will start putting out bonus episodes, so tell your friends. Authorized.com. It's not authorized.com. What? Patreon.com slash authorized pod. Welcome to Authorized, Tertiary Tomes, a sub-podcast within Authorized, where we discuss books that are not novelizations, but similarly owe their existence to a film. Tertiary Tomes are energetic, convoluted flights of fancy, meant to stoke aspirations of adventure. While their pages turn briskly and their plots are flight of foot, the invented mysteries laid upon real-life events cannot be too creative or subversive, as they inevitably must conform to historical reality. Consequently, the twists upon twists and turns upon turns fail to linger in memory, like empty calories. Ultimately, tertiary tomes are superlative as a way to sugarcoat an educational experience, if not potent as stories in and of themselves. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of treasure enthusiasts, clue <laughs> enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. This is a whole other discussion, which is like, what actually links these to the national treasure movies? What's the DNA? But we'll get to it. National treasures, treasures of the nation. Mm, I don't follow. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my name is Andrew Overby. And I'm Hannah Blackman. National treasure, colon, changing tides, hyphen, Maybe a Gates family mystery. They're just mystery. line breaks. I, I don't have yeah, any. Yeah, they're line breaks. I mean, there are little symbols next to the Gates family mystery, but I would not know what to call them. There's no way a Gates family mystery is making it into the title of these episodes. Just no way. <laughs> I'm not typing no, that National four times. National Treasure colon changing tides. Parentheses, a Gates family mystery. <laughs> <laughs> is a historical fiction adventure novel by Katherine Hapka. It follows Sam Gates, a young Englishman, come to find prosperity in the new world of the Americas after his father has squandered the family fortune and besmirched its name. When Sam is entrusted with a clue to a treasure by a man who is subsequently murdered, he must determine who can be trusted in his new home, which is the colony of Jamestown. Yes. We must acknowledge. We must say. Um, in order to find these riches and deliver them away from the unrighteous hand that killed his mentor. But... There's not a whole lot about that second part. How do you mean? I think that the the stuff with Jasper has no resolution in a way that is satisfying. Yeah, truly, truly. It's there's the yeah. the villain in this in this book is uh, completely unhinged. I mean, just fully <laughs> like psychotic and uh, t- spends way too much of his time thinking about children, and and he continues to do <laughs> well. 
get into the specifics, but he continues to do wildly psychotic things to children. Yeah, that aren't helping his end at all. Oh, I think the thing, the insane things he does to children do very little to further his goals. Absolutely. Either. And, and, so. and reality is so skewed. People like know about the insane things and they're like, well, try to avoid him, I guess. <laughs> And then <laughs> at the end of the book, he like just doesn't get the treasure and that's closure. It's like, no, this man needs to be like drawn and quartered. Yeah, like a, a problem colonist and you will have issues with him in your burgeoning new society. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, National Treasure Changing Tides is the first of four Gates family mystery books, maybe six, but we can only read four each of which focuses on a different cast of characters in a different historical era. It was published by Disney Enterprises in 2007. I really can't find any evidence that those Gates Family Mysteries 5 and 6 exist. Let me pull up those titles. I mean, I'm curious because like on Goodreads, there are people who have reviewed them, but I agree, those books don't seem to exist at all. See, when I went on Goodreads, the only things I could find under reviews where people saying does this book actually exist oh i found some that were like this one's good uh maybe they just reviewed the wrong one because you can't even find the cover like i'm googling it right now this book is called forever free so the the, for the listener first of all Mm -hmm. welcome to this little series we're doing for going from december to january uh an interesting series i think which is you know the national treasure TV series is coming out right now, and we've always tossed around the idea of there's these books, these these uh, Gates family mystery books, which are kind of a different type of book than we've tackled before, because they're spinoff books, they're tertiary tomes, they exist in the universe of National Treasure, though they are not novelizations of a film. However, when we have spinoff books, it is often something like the Sixth Sense, where we are continuing to follow characters from a movie that we're already familiar with, and you sort of emotionally are able to conjure that cachet of like, I love Cole, you know, I I love I love Tony Collette, like I've I've got this ready to go, and and so that that's one form we've done. Another form is that we'll have something like E.T. The Book of the Green Planet, which does have returning characters, but is largely like, what if you followed an element of a movie you like into something else that's Mm -hmm. completely different? Now, we don't really like that book, but you can see how that works as like a mass-produced piece of media. You know, uh, don't you want to see E.T. do more things? Well, I believe that I do before I read the book. (laughs) And then these are very much like... You know how the concept of the National Treasure movies is that Nicolas Cage's family has been treasure hunting forever? What if we looked at some of those? (laughs) Which, factually, it works. They laid the groundwork for it in the movies. There's ancestors that have been hunting for treasure. I just wonder how potent this was, how effective this was as a marketing tool, because (laughs) not only are you picking up a book that has zero characters from the original property that you enjoyed, even within Mm -hmm. this series, you're turning over a new cast for every book because they all take place in a different era. Time period. Totally, totally. I mean, I have to believe that after the success of National Treasure 2, A Book of Secrets... 
Mm-hmm. Is that the subtitle? Bo- okay. I think just Book of Secrets. It's cleaner. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. It's cleaner. Um, I'm sure that Disney was like, we're not making a third movie, but there is money to be drawn from this. People like it. And there's an appetite for like historical fiction for young people. I know I read a lot of it as a young person. Mm-hmm. And to have a historical fiction book that is going to teach you a little something about history, but also you get to follow some clues, theoretically, you could like solve it along with our teen protagonists. I understand why you might order six, publish four of these. (laughs) I think the problem for me now, have you started book two yet? I have started book two. Yeah, yeah, as have I, because we're recording these first two, two days apart. Uh, <laughs> the issue is, like, you, you start book one, and you're like, okay, these are kind of blank slate characters. They're meant to be appealing for, you know, uh, teenagers who are picking this book up, whatever. And you pick up book two, and it's like characters named, like, John and Colin, and in the first one it's, like, Sam and William, and it's like, (laughs) oh my god, I can't keep this straight, and I already, in the first 50 pages of book two, was like, I'm just mixing it up with book one. That's just what's happening. I think on page one of book two, I was like, I know where this book is going 100%. Book one, didn't I did not guess what was gonna happen in it. I couldn't possibly guess what was gonna happen to it. It's not, like, tied into a historical event that felt obvious to me. Right. Um, sure. <clears throat> sure. Which was kind of an exciting twist and turn of, like, what? What? I Like, not to get ahead of myself, but book two, you're like, well, this is going to end in Paul Revere's Midnight Ride. That's very the book obvious. Is called Midnight Ride. It has a... Uh... And on page one, the kid is like, my horse is the fastest horse in Massachusetts. And I was like, oh, buddy. We'll, we'll talk about Midnight Ride when we get there, but <laughs> something that the books have in common that is, is a little odd is they exist in a world where people are treasure hunting, which makes sense, like the characters are treasure hunting, yet in this book and then again in the second book, there also exists some disdain for the concept of treasure hunting, <laughs> which... Which is, in, which is part of the national treasure... Totally. I think the thing that I find interesting is that both of these first two books do the opposite of the National Treasure thing. The National Treasure movies are like, the dad is skeptical, the son is a nut. And then both of these books are like, these young men being like, I'm horridly ashamed of my father and his treasure hunting habits. I shan't be doing the same. And then applying this weird justification of like, but I do this other thing, a little bit of a hobby, I call it money finding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it is interesting that they're like, okay, there is tension about treasure hunting in the family. We're going to keep that in the book. However, there's a lot of howevering, I feel like. Sure. And like, I, I appreciate the work that Catherine Hapka has done with this, sticking just to the first one. Like, there's a series of clues, there's things that, like, not as a a reader you could possibly know to help solve it with you. Mm -hmm. But, like, it kind of follows, like, okay, all right, and this goes to this, and that goes to that, and then we found this, and that's hard to do. Like, it's not easy to make up a puzzle. Right. No, I agree. I I think this is a pretty good surprising puzzle with some twists and turns. The puzzle box aspect of this I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by, because as I said in the intro, it's a real historical setting, Jamestown in, what? what's the year, 1610 or something? 1612. And 
they have to create this whole national treasure style thing on top of it, but it's like real history, which is which is mm-hmm. thorny. Yeah, and it's happening concurrently with history. Totally. Like, the national treasure movies are looking to things that happened in the past while there's a modern adventure, and these are like, there's a mystery happening now with treasure now. Much in the way that a novelizationist who is like doing what they need to to make a bad movie good uh, <laughs> has to embellish you know, add on, put a whole different layer of story on top of, like, the shit sandwich you got before, but have it conform <laughs> to the narrative that was on screen. Mm-hmm. So do do these books have to essentially layer another story on top of the actual historical events in such a way that you go, one, it makes sense that it could happen, Two, it's exciting that it is happening. And three, it doesn't disturb actual canon. And what I'm calling canon is, of course, (laughs) true history, true reality. (laughs) What I think is very interesting about Changing Tides compared to the first 50 pages of Midnight Ride that I've read, right, is that this takes place in Jamestown, but not during any of the like really exciting periods in Jamestown. Right. And I, of course, know what those are. So tell, but tell the listeners. I mean, some of this is mentioned in the book, right? But mm-hmm. they aren't. Ha- this isn't happening during the first period where John Smith is there, doing whatever he's doing with Pocahontas, getting relations set up, right? Right. It's not during that period. It's not during the starving times when most of the colony died, which right. could be quite interesting and exciting to reference to bunch about in the book. Reference to bunch. People yes. they, many times they're like. What happened to that major character that could have just told me where the treasure is? And they're like, well, the starving times. And they every died. time the narrator's like, uh, that made me feel really sad because everyone who's alive knows people who died. Mm, it was a rough time in the colonies. I mean, it, this is not taking place in the Roanoke colony that went missing. It's not taking place during the period when John Rolfe marries Pocahontas and takes her away, which caused all sorts of strife. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just sort of in this, like, pocket period where not a whole lot is going on. And so this, like, little child mystery can occur without a lot of fuss. Mm. You know, they don't have to run into John Smith, who has to teach them a lesson or hand them a clue or whatever. So, Hannah, I am not really a history person. I don't feel like I know really anything about history. And so... I grew up in Virginia and went to Jamestown a bunch. There is an element to this book, as you've referenced, which is like very much about Pocahontas. And then Pocahontas just shows up and is part of the book. Yeah. What is the relationship... This might be the stupidest question. This might be being like... This might be as bad as me being like, did America come from another nation or grow organically like a plant? (laughs) What is the relationship between the Pocahontas story and Jamestown as a place? Because I only have the crumbs, crumbs, that that this book has given me. Sure. You've seen the Disney movie Pocahontas? Not in any way that has held in memory. I saw it when I was like six years old. It's not an accurate representation of that at all. Mm -hmm. But it's another touch point that you might have had. Um, No, I mean, the, the basic thing is that colonists landed in Virginia decided to build a fort in this swampy shitstorm area uh, on the James River, Jamestown, which remains a swampy, messy area. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. not really feasible to live on. You can't really farm on it. You can't really do anything on it. It's mucky. It's mosquito-y. It's terrible. 
Um, and Pocahontas was like 12, was intrigued by these visitors, and developed some kind of like friendship type thing with John Smith, who was like a 45-year-old adult man, right? Very cool. Really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now I, I haven't been to Jamestown in probably 10 years at this point, so I don't know what sort of story they're telling there now. Uh-huh. But growing up, the story was basically that she basically brought him home and was like, look at this fucking crazy thing I found. And her dad was like, what is it? We hate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so, like, because Pocahontas was like, he's like a pet. Uh, he doesn't get his skull broken in, which mm-hmm. they wanted to do. And she develops some some of the, she basically convinces her father, the chief, to like not kill all the settlers and maybe help them a little. But he's not very interested in helping them and is like, we will just be exist separately. How about that? Sure, great. Um, and John Smith, after not getting his head bashed in, is like, I'm Audi. I'm going back to England. I don't like it here. Goodbye. And leaves the colony in somebody else's charge. Um, who? is super duper strict. They have some bad times, starving times. Uh, and then things sort of start to settle down and thrive. Does that help you at all? I am I find that very helpful. So Disney, you know, mm-hmm. also the creator of National Treasure, their <laughs> insistence that there was a Pocahontas, John Smith romance that's just made up. That's made up. Oh, it's made up. Yeah. I thought for sure that they just aged the character up and that it was like some fucked up thing about history. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, John Smith was not a good person, mm-hmm. but I don't think he tried to romance a 12-year-old girl. Cool. Like, I don't think that was the relationship. Um, but I'm not a I'm not a historic expert on this era. So totally. I, I could there could be new evidence that he absolutely tried to fuck a twelve year old girl. I don't know. The one bit know. of DNA that I know that these two franchises share in their attempt to make an interesting Disneyified story out of actual American history is that they just have to, in the second Pocahontas, be like, and she's in love with someone else. I mean... She met this other guy they and just moved back to England with him. Be like, and then John Smith came back. It's like, but he he really did. Straight up did it. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen Pocahontas 2 one time, I think. And I think there's a scene in it in England where she like bumps into John Smith again and he's like, oh shit! Oh no! What are you doing here? <laughs> I don't remember, but I feel like that might be true. Okay, so cracking open, national treasure, changing tides, changing tides, a Gates family, a Gates mystery, family mystery, book one. <laughs> yes. What is your feeling? For one. Initially, on yeah, I actually really like the the look and feel of these books. The covers are cool, you know, we'll post the covers, whatever. And just the the paper stock is just nice and thick. I, I like mm-hmm. it a lot. I like the way the pages are styled as if you're reading like an, a journal or something. That's totally. funny. It, like looks I like wish it's there were on more. Yeah. I wish there were more pictures and diagrams, like mm-hmm. and like handwriting stuff. Like I would really like to see like when they find the coins towards the end that have the shapes in them. Yeah. I want to see what those look like. And I totally. think these, this book would benefit from a little more. And, and of I think that. it's a failing of of the writing a little bit that there are clues in this book that are so achingly visual. And it's just Catherine Hapka, please come on the podcast, being <laughs> like 
It's a circle with a crooked arrow there in it. There was a, a, it looked like a Y. Imagine the letter Y, but then also there's a dot, but also it's a weirdly written Y that we can later say looked like a map. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it would be really satisfying for me to be like, here's a map of Jamestown and surrounding areas. And then you're like, here's a picture of the Y on the coin. Totally. And you as the reader would be able to be like, oh, it looks like the Y on the map. Like, that would be really cool. And this book does not have that. Totally. Like, totally. I, the mystery here is there's nothing wrong with the mystery or the way that they solve it or what the final solution is. I think the problem is that I can't solve it along with our heroes, which is kind of a bummer. Totally. Um, and that that makes it like less fun to read. But that's also the difference between a treasure hunt and a, and a mystery, right? Like, mm. I think it's a genuine failing of genre. If I'm watching like a murder mystery or something, like I like to be tricked. I like yeah, I liked yeah. that I didn't, know where Glass Onion was going, which I think we both saw recently. Yeah, let's take five minutes at some point we and can, cut it we out. We can do it app. here. This, I think, is the loosey-goosey uh, version of, of the podcast. This, we're, we're back into crumbs again for about a month. That, 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 that original crumbs vibe where we're like, oh, Cheetah Girls 2 is not good. What do we what have you been say? Up to? How's dating? How's dating? I'm doing it again. Whoa. Something you said you wouldn't do. Well... I, I gave in. Wow. I got lonely. Well, let it let it go to show, listener. Don't believe Hannah. I'm I'm an ocean of secrets. I'm constantly changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. I like the idea that not being principled is uh, having secrets. Okay. <laughs> so Yeah, we can talk glass onion at some point, but it the, the, the I didn't see where that movie was going exactly, but the the thing about a well-plotted murder is that I could have Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff. There were certainly things when the reveal happened in that movie where I was like, oh, while I didn't figure out what was going on, one of the moments that ended up being fishy in the end, I clocked as fishy and just yes. read wrong. Right? You want to have those moments and you want to, upon a rewatch or a re-read mm-hmm. of a mystery, be able to be like, ah, ah, that's a clue. That's a thing that I didn't know the first time, but now I do, and it has a new context. Totally, that's totally satisfying. I think I think a mystery, something that's like, uh, it, oh, maybe I'm being like so. Maybe everyone knows this, but the difference between a mystery and like a treasure hunt or a different type of quest is that with a mystery, you're seeing the results of an action, right? You're seeing the consequences mm-hmm. of an action, which makes it possible to reverse engineer it. Whereas mm-hmm. with a treasure hunt. Sure, you're seeing the results of a treasure hunt that was set up, but it's clue to clue to clue. So it's not it's not like I could like imagine necessarily what the end point of a treasure hunt is. Whereas because a murder has occurred, I could possibly see the ramifications of it having occurred and extrapolate from that. Yes, I think I see what you mean. Cool. Thank you. Well, I think it's important to note that this is called a a mystery. This is purporting yeah. to be a mystery more than a treasure hunt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, th- the how'd we get on this? Oh, I don't know. How'd we get on? Oh, this? I think it was me saying I found it disappointing that I couldn't follow along. Yes. Okay. Great point. We'll, we'll get to the specific clues, but the thing about wanting to see pictures is also frustrating because when there is a text clue in the book. 
the book is able to replicate the way in which it is a clue because the book is written in text. And so Mm -hmm. one of the early clues that I'm sure we'll talk about in like three minutes is about, you know, the way in which a letter is written and the letter is printed whole in the book so we can see, oh, that is strange. Oh, that does... That does stick out, but then when it becomes anything involving visual language, the visual language Mm -hmm. of a clue, we are just left to trust a character, which isn't awesome. There's also a lot of clues that are like, oh, that shape on the horizon. And you're like, well, we could never have possibly done that. Okay, so I think because this is not a novelization of a film, because this doesn't even involve characters from a film, I think we have to just straight up walk through the plot of this book. I agree, yeah. So what is your feeling when you open up the first page of this book? Each of these books has like a prologue before you even get to chapter one. How are yeah. you feeling about the tactile nature of, of this writing? Like what's what's going through mm-hmm. your head? Uh, I, I think it is written pretty nice. The main thing for me is that this book is like 300 pages long. Hannah, you kept like, saying when I, I was know. like, when <laughs> I was like, no, before we started reading, I said to you, I was like, when are we going to do the National Treasures? I think we'll do season four first, and then we'll do the National Treasures. Unless they suddenly announce that the TV show is coming out, then I guess we just have to do them. And you were like, yeah, but even if that happens, they're kids' books. I, I, I said yeah, to myself, and I was, I was wrong. Like, has she physically ordered them yet? Because when I look at them, they don't look so kid. Like, and then, and then I picked up the first one. I was like, Andrew, this thing is 300 pages long. And you said to me, yeah, but it's like kids. So it moves really fast. Yep. Um, and I did not find it that fast. I don't know. There's like a lot happening on every page. There's a lot of pages. I did actually find it pretty easy to move through. Um, I don't think it's hard. It's just a lot. I think for me, and I've expressed this before, the the, the big difference on whether I'm enjoying reading a book and whether I'm not or whether I feel like it's a bit of a chore, is if I can get through a page in... I'd love to find the actual number. You know, there's that number for video games where they're like, <clears throat> if the game responds in like point, you know, zero zero eight seconds, it like tricks your brain into thinking that like you're in true like reality or simulated reality and it like makes you happy, right? I bet there's a number for that for me reading a page where if I can get through mm-hmm. a page in like... 70 seconds i'm like this thing is flying and if it takes me two full minutes i'm like this is hard oh <laughs> yeah there's got to be something there i think for me reading this one and now i feel like i've learned my lesson but i was like i have to be on the lookout for clues all the right. time yes so i was reading like more closely than i might have otherwise because i didn't want to miss any clues <laughs> a thankless way to engage yeah, that wasn't helping me with this book. <laughs> That's not going to enrich my experience in any way. But I do think the book is pretty well written. It's like very respectful of its audience. It's using big words and big concepts and assuming that you know them, which I always like in a young yes. person's book. Like big words. I couldn't get over it. Like on the first page, the word <laughs> metal escapement is like used and i was like who knows what that is like a 14 year old doesn't know what an escapement is i mean i don't know what it is either but like it's it's fun to just take something from context yeah. and be like all right i know it's just written in like a very like respectful mature adult kind of way while also like the characters are teenagers going through teenage emotions and drama and that's relatable even if you're like wow the the time is something i don't know anything about 
the concept of being like 16 years old in Elizabethan England. Cool and weird. Right. Um, oh, I guess we're in like the James the First period. But um, anyway. The book begins. London 1612. This this kid, Samuel Thomas Gates, is... Whose dad uh, is a clockmaker and a treasure hunter. Well, we get a lot about the dad. That's 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 sort of what I'm getting at. The, the, the one detail they give us about Samuel Thomas Gates is that he is, uh, he loves theater. Yeah, he's a, he's a reader. Nut. So he's like obsessed with Shakespeare. And uh, well, first he of all, he has it, dreams of going to Oxford and becoming educated. In very quick succession, we get this passage about his dad, introducing the concept of his dad and then his relationship to Shakespeare. So it says, uh, since turning 18 earlier that year, Sam sometimes had the unsettling feeling of peering into a looking glass when facing his father. They were now of equal height, and except for a few extra wrinkles around the father's eyes and a bit less hair at the temples, looked much alike. I'm going to the theater, father, Sam said, adding quickly, I have the sixpence to pay my way. A gentleman gave gave me it as a tip at the shop last week. Benjamin laughed. No need to worry about that, my lad. If things go as I think they shall... You'll soon be able to attend the theater every day, if you so wish, and be seated in a fine box, no less. Uh, he gave a broad wink. What is the play today? Uh, but, 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 it goes on to talk about how he has this, like, the father has been talking about this mysterious financial windfall. He's going to do something, you know, to make the family rich. Uh, and then where's the Shakespeare part? Here we go. Uh, Sam's leaving the theater. And says, Sam was still in a good mood as he walked home after the play. The performance had been a fine one, filled with humor and drama. Sam found it a wonder that it had been written by a man so much like an older version of himself. Hadn't Mr. Shakespeare, too, come from humble beginnings? Didn't he, too, lack much in the way of formal education? And yet look what a life he has made for himself here in London, Sam thought as he walked, all from a deep love of words and the theater. If only father's love of timepieces could make him as well off as that, or my interest in books and knowledge. Now, a very American series, in the sense that there's there's a lot of back and forth about should we be treasure hunters, should we not? And Hannah, I'll let you handle the the the, the plot development that's about to happen with the father. <laughs> but every character in these books is like, I do believe in treasure hunting, or I don't. But I want to get rich so fucking bad. It'd be so great to be rich. And it would be so great to be rich. Have you seen dollars? It's like that's what every (laughs) character in this series. It's yes, that's I agree with that. Except for like, like Sam has like a brother, William, who's like a jock. And he's like, money, whatever. I'm doing great. Right, right. Uh, Love that for him. But like, yeah, they get to the new world and meet a bunch of just like money grabbing monsters. (laughs) <laughs> which you know if you're going to be treasure hunting that's that's something you have to be interested in it's not just for the fun of the game it that's something i like about the conceit of this book in particular is that because people have been promised so much prosperity in the new world mm-hmm. there's a part in this book that we'll get to soon where they're on a boat going over to the americas and almost everyone on it is like a craven weirdo being like, <laughs> I know of a treasure. I or someone being like, do you know of a treasure? I'll kill you for it. Um, <laughs> yes. It's so really Sam's stoked father. like the worst uh, impulses in people. 
Yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to risk your life going across the ocean to a totally unknown land with no what you consider civilization, <laughs> and all you have heard about this place is that most of the people who went there died, right. and there's a bunch of savages in the woods who can't wait to kill you. Like, if you're <laughs> volunteering to do that, you probably really want something out of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyway, Sam's father invests all of their money into a fake journey to the Americas or something? Yeah. But, like, he puts all of his money into, like, an expedition, which then doesn't come to fruition, and they have just stolen his money, a la in the movie The Mummy's Hand. (laughs) That's one of the Mummy sequels? Yeah, it's one of the Mummy sequels. That's, like, a major plot point in The Mummy's Hand. Is that the name of that movie? It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. That's the name of a movie that you watched recently. You've been talking about it. I think it's that one, then. It's much more in line with, like, the 1999 The Mummy than the original The Mummy. Anyway, anyway, so anyway, Mr. Gates Sr. loses all their money and puts their family into dire straits, at which point Sam and William are like, fuck it, we're going to the new world to make our fortunes, as many people have or will do in the future. Did you have trouble, Hannah, with the fact that this book posited that their father lost a bunch of money by making like a huge sort of like uncut gem style gambit <laughs> and then and then the book this series was like and he really lost it i was waiting the whole book for them to be like and at the end it turned out that cash cow came a mooing i was not expecting the cash cow to come a mooing i was expecting them to bring their dad with them like i'm surprised the sure. whole family doesn't go I'm surprised that we don't get a scene at the end where, like, they're like, "We did bring our dad, and here he is." Yes. Um, it's there's a there, there's nice closure at the end for the dad. There's a passage where he's thinking about his dad. It's written really nicely, and it tricked me. But I had the same reaction as you were when I thought back on the whole plot of the book. I was like, "Wait, so their dad disgraced the family f- for a fake treasure? Then they found a real one, and the closure is that they go, he was a nice guy." They never turn on their dad, which it feels like they should have some tension where Sam is like, it wasn't his fault. And William's like, it was super his fault. Fuck him. Move on. Totally. Like, I kind of feel like there should be something there. Um, it's not like, I mean, there is a clue with a clock and the clock was made by their dad, but that's just a coincidence. That's kind right. of a disappointment. You kind of want the clock stuff to pay off somehow in a way that it doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, the dad stuff is weird. And and given that in National Treasure 1 and 2, there's like a whole, like, it's me and my dad solving a mystery. I'm like, why isn't the dad here? Like, why aren't we doing this together? Totally. I, the, the books are just, and the movies are just like pilled to the gills. You know, they're like, they're, they're, they're like an innocent version of like the conspiracy theory logic of like, and on, oh, yeah. and on this website, they're advertising this for this amount of money so that must be selling people you know that's like it's like a it's like a g-rated version of that where every whim you possibly have where you're like does the does the msrp on the product me is that their social security it's like it's always right like whatever you think is always Mm -hmm. right that's the type of reality that these stories exist in so for them to start with this guy just getting conned and everyone's like, how could he have spent money on a ridiculous treasure hunt? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And for immediately Sam to be like, I'm jumping into another ridiculous treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. 
does feel quite strange. I like this passage on 19 where they're on the boat going to the new world. Yeah. And um, they're talking about their decision to do that. And it says, uh, the Susan Constant, the boat they're on, was better than two-thirds of the way through the six-week journey to the New World, specifically Jamestown settlement in the Virginia colony. Sam and William Gates were among the group of settlers making the trip. It had been Sam's idea to sign on with the Virginia Company. After all, anything would be better than remaining in London once word of Benjamin's folly had spread, and it had taken little to convince William to come as well. The company would pay their way in exchange for a few years' labor— and in return, the Gates brothers earned the chance to start fresh in a place where their name meant nothing, good or bad. And if they found enough success in the colony, they could send for their parents, doesn't happen, and rescue them from <laughs> their dreary life of absolute poverty in London. And then this part. By the end, they are like, we're going to send for our parents. So maybe it does happen. Maybe. But maybe. Maybe. <laughs> They intend to. Then this part I really like. Uh, the New World ruined the family, Sam had told William after bringing him to look at one of the broadsheets on their street. Why not see whether it might also be our salvation? Good idea. I think it's, yeah, it's a nice idea. And it's a nice, like, reason why you might go to the New World, right? It's why families for the history of America have come to America is to, like, try... Try it in a place where your name is nothing, right? The only reason it doesn't work is because this motivation for two brothers is clear. It makes a lot of sense. It's like, we're going to go to the new world. We're going to use the concept of a new world in a different way than our father did, which is to actually put in hard work and make our riches that way. Two pages <laughs> later, he's like, but there's a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what if there was a treasure? It, it does feel like there should be more tension between the concept of treasure hunting and the fact that it literally destroyed their family. But there simply isn't. Very quickly, <laughs> Sam and William meet Jasper, who is an evil fucking guy. There's these two men interested. on this boat who are yeah. obsessed with treasure hunting. Right. Jasper and Elias, mm -hmm. one of whom is old and one of whom is less old. They're, Jasper's not a child, though. He seems like he's <laughs> no. like 25, probably. It's at least. It's crazy to me. You read the passage. It was like, Sam, who's 18. And I was like, 18? You sure? <laughs> I could have sworn he was tops 16. Yes. But okay. Okay. Yeah. But Jasper is like an adult man. And Elias is like old. He's like probably in his 50s, which in 1612 is pretty fucking old. Definitely. But they're both obsessed with treasure, and Jasper's like, I'm going to find treasure. I believe it exists. And Elias is like, not only do I believe it exists, I know it exists. I have a letter from my cousin who found it. Right. Right? No, right. definitely. Uh, it's 24 is sort of his explanation of the, the mystery cousin as it currently Gilbert. exists. What was that? Cousin Gilbert. Yes. So uh, Elias says, it's like this, my boy. Uh, Elias began in a low voice after looking around to be sure he wouldn't be overheard. A few years back, my brother Isaac received a letter from a younger cousin of ours, a cousin Gilbert. Gilbert traveled to Jamestown several years back, 1607 to be precise. Part of Christopher Newport's original party, Sam asked? The men who founded Jamestown Settlement? We all love Christopher Newport. He had one arm. There is one guy in this book that hasn't come up yet that I, I'm i going to Google it in real time. I really hope he's a real person. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, Elias blinked at him, obviously impressed by Sam's knowledge. That's right. The exploring urge runs in our family. Gilbert went not only for the adventure and potential wealth, but also in search of our great-uncle James, who had settled at Roanoke Colony back in the 1580s, and vanished along with all the rest of the settlers there. Now, I assume this is a real thing. Yes. That there was a colony where... Mm -hmm. People went to settle, and then later other people came to find them, and they were gone, but uh-huh. there was a carving on a tree that said, what is it? Cro- Cro- Croatoan. Croatoan, that m- some believe means that they left in in peace with the native people. I want to do a little side note. So growing up in Virginia, we got this story all the time. Like, this was a huge part of my education growing up, was, like, Great. the Virginia colonies, the Lost Roanoke colony, etc. Now is... I feel like I really need to bring, like, Boston stuff. For yeah, you book. do. It is crazy <laughs> that you, like, don't know anything about this. Like, regional education in America is fucking off the wall. It's absolutely crazy, and we should standardize a little bit more, so we're all getting mm-hmm. slightly more history. But when I was growing up, the story on the colony at Roanoke was that they mysteriously disappeared and we have no idea what happened to them when it seems pretty clear that they went to live with the Indians. Right. Um, but like, I think that's a, that's a rel- like the fact that this book in 2007 or whatever is saying like, and we all know that they probably went to go live with the Indians. It felt, feels like really brand new to me. Wow. That would not have been the perspective of a historical fiction novel written 20 years before. And I was like very impressed and pleased. <laughs> because because the the people writing history, even if they believe that would have been too scandalized by it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of in the way that like um, the idea that like Native Americans were capable of surviving when white people weren't was like unacceptable <laughs> to the writers of history in the same way that like if like me you're interested in arctic exploration and someone asks like hey what happened to those ships that went missing in the arctic in the 1840s for a hundred years it was like we just don't know and it's like well anybody who asked the inuits they knew that those guys all died and ate each other <laughs> and <laughs> just like english historians were like no white people don't do that that's fucking crazy absolutely not wait so is the kieran hines the terror tv show yes. is that that's a spit that's a fantasy spin on that real event yeah okay uh-huh i mean we don't have a ton of evidence about what actually happened to those people like beat for beat moment to moment guy for guy but it seems very clear from interviews with the inuit people living there at the time They're like yeah we saw those guys walking past they were eating each other. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they were not they well. Past, they... <laughs> they were all gnawing upon one another. But uh, it's like, yeah, they didn't like mysteriously go missing. They all died. In the same way, the, the Roanoke colony, like, yeah, they went to go live with the native people who knew how to live on the land successfully right. and just never came out of that version of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of how long it took English society to trickle back down into the Carolinas... At, by that point, the colonists were fully integrated with the Croatoan tribes, and it was like, yeah, there's a lot of very pale Native Americans down there. I was just about to say that. It's like, it, it, it basically uh, ethnically integrated to the point mm-hmm. where it's just like, it's actually kind of not traceable. Uh, yeah, and there wasn't, nobody got back fast enough or found them fast enough to really be like, yep, there they are. Right, 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 right. So it was like a mystery for a long time, even though there's very little mysterious about it. That's that's fascinating. I kept, whenever I got to the uh, Croatoan, Croatoan? 
stuff mm-hmm. in this book. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I like didn't really, I, I got what they were saying. Like they probably ran off. But since I'm used to processing things in like a fictional um, whatever, I was like, oh, surely there'll be a giant reveal as to what happened. Which well, I, I was see waiting. could be disrespectful, actually. It could be. But I did sort of expect this book because there is a lot of talk about like, well, this great uncle James who went missing with the Roanoke colonists. I was like, well, certainly this will all tie in in a way that is meaningful. And it kind of (laughs) doesn't. It's not like the treasure they find is Roanoke stuff. It's not like the people they encounter are secretly colonists from Roanoke or anything like that. We'll get to it, but there's there's some invocation of the Roanoke colony in the the denouement of the book, and uh, it I didn't get it at all. <laughs> I can't wait to get to it. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, uh, Elias's uh, whole thing is he goes, da, 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 da. he he got a letter from the Americas, which has sort of spurred his whole treasure hunt. Sam says, "Is that the letter from your cousin to your brother Isaac?" I, my boy, Elias replied, it urges Isaac and me to come to the new world ourselves, making cryptic reference to items of great value that may be found there. In it, Gilbert indicates that he had hidden this treasure carefully, leaving a sign to show us the way in case anything happened to him before we arrived. And we get the text of the letter and everything, but this is the inciting incident. It's like, he has a letter, uh, it was written to his brother who died... Uh, and his brother was sort of the great puzzle solver. And so this guy's like, I'm going to try to find the treasure, but I don't have the skill set that he does. Well, luckily, he's murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, luckily, Sam does have the skills That's and I mean. the photographic memory, and Elias is murdered. So Sam takes on the mantle. Yes, 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 yes. I could not get over how much this book is like, Sam has a photographic memory. We can't call it that because that doesn't exist yet, but we all well, know they, what they, it is. Doesn't he say that it's uh, whatever it's called, eidetic? Eidetic? I don't know, maybe. This is it. His invocation of eidetic memory made me laugh every time because <laughs> in in that uh, that Charlie Kaufman novel, the, mm-hmm. the protagonist who is just meant to be completely insufferable. He's like a, <laughs> he's like the most alienating film critic ever. He mm-hmm. constantly to the to the reader, not to anyone in the book, will be like, will be like, I remember this because of uh, because I can remember everything I see. It's of course an eidetic memory because despite what you might think, photographic memory isn't real. here's the description here's the first description of sam's eidetic memory he had always been blessed with a superb memory when he saw something once whether book play or face he rarely forgot even the slightest detail in this case he'd caught only the briefest glimpse of elias's letter but it had stuck yeah and he's just able to like perfectly recall things um which is helpful for puzzle solving yeah definitely i mean there's he does a lot of like um Jimmy Neutron brain blasts in this book where he just like looks it's like for one second he's like got it and later on he's like putting his fingers to his temples being like "Eh, bring it back I need to see it again he also (laughs) writes a lot of things down which I appreciate he does have a perfect memory but he has a notebook with him and he does write things down and does etchings and scratchings and drawings and stuff right right totally I think is good the first clue we get is in the text, 
of the letter, which I think the text of the letter is printed on 44. Mm. It says, Dearest cousin, I trust this letter finds you and your brother well by the grace of God. I write this day to entreat the both of you to consider my humble recommendation to follow me here to this strange land, which is indeed, as the rumors have it, a land of riches. I have myself stumbled upon something most interesting and of immense value, left here upon these new shores by our dear lost uncle, and in which I wish my favorite cousins to share. For this purpose, I am sending you instructions and directions to find these items in case of any harm coming to myself in the meantime, though I dare not put the details of its location simply on paper, because a mere wax seal cannot hide such information from curious eyes as may be about. Now, as Hannah has (laughs) tried to... Uh, express it in an audio fashion, though it doesn't make <laughs> sense. Uh, wax is a capitalized word. And here the insanity begins. Because mm-hmm. this is my, my main issue with, like, treasure hunt stuff. Yeah, I don't understand the parameters in which you solve or w- in which you extrapolate. Like, a code. A code. As mm-hmm. a mystery makes perfect sense to me. Right? Yeah. Like, you, you write me something in code. It's a really hard code to crack, but it does have some sort of key some sort of like empiric reference system that I can push it against and reveal a meaning. The thing that bothers me yeah. about clues, and especially clues as they're written in this book, is that well, wax... these clues are what I would call bad clues. <laughs> the fact that I figure out anything from these clues is astounding. The word wax is capitalized, and it leads our frenzied protagonist to just guess a bunch of things, where he's like, okay, when we get to Jamestown, there will be candles. And when I, but then, and then he, then he has like a meltdown. He's like, but the, they won't be the same candles as a few years ago. So I guess we're just fucked. Like, he's just like, he's, he's taking all these, all these ups and downs. And then it turns out, I mean, how do we even get there? How do we even figure out? Well, there's other words capitalized, light and constant. Is it just those three? That's insane. And Which the, leads and him the to Susan believe. constant is their boat. Right, that some light on the constant has a wax something that will guide him. And somehow that's kind of right? Yes, yes. He basically finds that a lantern on the boat, the Susan Constant, has a message that he can use. Which is, if you're a kid reading the book, you're like, that makes sense to me. The clue said what the answer was. But to even imagine that tracking in physical reality in this time is impossible. Yeah. I mean, the, the, they have happened. I mean, let's just walk through the logic here. They have happened to board the ship that they needed to be on years after the letter was written. I mean, if they had just been on, you know, the... Any the, other ship. The Miranda Wavering, or whatever the other <laughs> boats are called, then they'd be fucked. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's very dependent on being on this boat. It's very dependent on, like, that lantern still existing, that the captain didn't knock it over, break it one day, and go, ah, throw that out. Yes, totally. Like, there's a lot of luck and coincidence to these, which I think, I guess, is the case of all of these sort of clue-based treasure hunts. But, like, the pieces still have to be there. And if they go away, the treasure is lost forever. This this guy, Gilbert, <laughs> is, um, which, by the way, I couldn't stop thinking of Monkey Island, fucking Monkey Island video games during this. First of all, because, have you ever played a Monkey Island I don't think so. Okay, these are... uh, If it's not Monkey Ball, then no. Treasured games from my childhood, which are like... They were like pirate comedy games. Oh. That spanned from, I want to say, like Windows 90 
to whatever the Macintosh was that had the green plating on the side or the colored mm-hmm, plating. Mm-hmm. You know, you get in all the different colors. Mm-hmm. Mine was green. The best version of a computer that's ever existed, unfortunately. Coolest, you said? Aesthetically. Yeah, I mean, just like the best design for a computer. And I'm sorry that we got rid of it. I mean, I like the ones with color. I do. But I think that when they went full white and it was still the big bulky desktop, that was cool as hell also. Eh, okay. Like that made me feel like I was living in 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know what I really miss is like partially transparent technology. Where like you'd have like yes. a color block that was like kind of clear and you could see the inner workings. Yeah, yeah. That was good shit. Like a like a Game Boy Advance. I think like if the, you get into PC gaming, that like Alienware is still like that. Mm, like God pe- there's them. there's a lot of people out there who have like water cooled computers that they game on, and they can definitely like watch <laughs> the water swirling around or whatever. That's crazy. It's you crazy. Put water near your electronics. Wow. Whew. Well, anyway, the Elias Monkey dies. Island games. <laughs> so here's the, here's what I kept thinking. Yeah, of them. please They're, tell me about these games. They were these like um. I guess they took place in the past. It was, you know, pirate times or whatever. And they were these point-and-click logic games, which I, I, I don't think I've described this on the podcast before, but this basically exploded my brain when I was a kid because I got Escape from Monkey Island, which is the first one I played. And you start on this island, and there's a guy trying to destroy your wife's mansion, and he's got, like, a catapult, and he's been sent by the city for some reason. And in order to mm-hmm. stop him from doing this, you had to... Uh, go find an inner tube that was deflated somewhere else on the map, put it around a cactus next to the mansion so it kind of resembled a slingshot. Then you had to go play darts at a bar nearby, which Mm -hmm. helped you win jerky pretzels, and then you would go up and be like, hey, man, you want to step away from your catapult and eat these pretzels? And he'd be like, thank you. And then you fuck with his controls on the catapult, and then he would go back and be like, shit, I fucked up, now I have to shoot it the thing I test on, which is that cactus, and then it, it would slingshot it back at him, destroy the catapult. It was the first thing in the game, which it, it, all this is saying. That say, feels so convoluted. It was, it, was, it was impossible to actually play as a teenager, but I will, I will say that there was this, there was this perverse beauty to, um, to playing the game with a guide. Where I just read a guide and I would just watch the machinations happen and be like, how beautiful. <laughs> it's like a movie that makes no sense. Anyway. Fascinating. These books have like the same sort of logic to me where like you walk into a room and there's a million things to click and there's like a combine option. And I kept thinking like I'm basically doing the same thing I would do in Monkey Island, which is I would just like pick up shovel and lantern and be like combine and the main (laughs) character would be like i'm not doing that which was his actual line for when something didn't work um wow and uh also the creator of the game's name was gilbert oh okay so anyway that's fun these are escape from monkey island is an adventure game developed and released by lucas arts yeah we love him George Lucas. The fourth game in the Monkey Island series. There's a new one on Switch. I'm currently working through it now, but they've oh really God. dumbed down the difficulty. It's like doable. You can like do the game. Uh, Not good. Did you ever play um, Zumbinis? Of course. Make oh. me a pizza. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is it? I, Sometimes I reference that to people and they're like, I don't know it. And it makes me so sad. That was such a like formative computer game. The one I had was called Zumbini Island or something. Mm-hmm. Um... Zumbini Island. Yeah, it was called Zumbini's Island Odyssey. Uh, and that was the one where you had to make the guy a pizza. 
and he kept I think yelling, I Make must have had that one as well. And you had uh, to like do a logic puzzle. Definitely. Of always. like, what does this guy actually want? It's not this, but it's this. It's not that, but it's that. Oh, man. Now, that particular brand, uh, we'll get back to the book, but that particular genre of logic game was so strange to me. Because you're playing a Monkey Island, which I don't think is the same as the Zumbinis. You're playing a Monkey <laughs> okay. Island, and it's like, it's structured like a Super Mario 3D game or something, where like you're going through a story, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like the you're you're unlocking new areas and stuff like that. Zumbinis, or like I I played a ton of Where in Time is Carmen San Diego. Oh sure, that yeah. one fucking ripped. But both of those games have this weird thing where you gain a little bit of ground every time you go through the entire cycle of what the game has. So it's like, you remember Zumbini Zumbini Island whatever was all about getting the Zumbinis to their new home. And so you would get them there and they'd be like, the population sign would go up by 20. And then it would be basically back to square one. They'd be like, try to get 20 more Zumbinis there. And you do all the same challenges and they might get a little more difficult or whatever. But I remember I got to a point with um, Where in Time is Carmen San Diego, where I was just fucking grinding. And I had seen <laughs> every single trivia question before. So it was like, they, they I truly had run out of content, but they had programmed it so that if I did the same things over and over again, I could still get a new title. They'd be like, congratulations, you're now Master Super Ranger, which probably took them two seconds to program. And I, as a kid, was like, if they programmed more levels in, <laughs> there must be more content to come. <laughs> I really miss the um, the computer game of our youth where you would like put a CD into your like home desktop computer and like click your way through a series of educational puzzles. And it would, there'd be two CDs, kids? yeah. Yeah, I love that. Those yeah. were so good to me. So I had good. one that was also about like, it was like you were a mad scientist and you had to like do like math problems and stuff to like build your monster and do you have have you ever done point any sort of point and click exploration game because i feel like my comparison here is like beyond no yeah no i get it i get it at some point in high school i played a lot of like point and click horror games okay sure where you were like clicking your way through like a dark house and you had to like solve puzzles and like what what were name what were the names i don't remember they were all like on websites they were like not oh sure you know but yeah, um, I, I felt like they were spooky. I, I I felt like these books were like they, they were so reminiscent for me of that sort mm-hmm. of thing. I would love it if these games had like a choose your own adventure element, where it'd be like, do you want to break into the captain's cabin or talk to the captain or see, sure. and then you would like follow the story based on like your own moral cleverness or whatever it was always actually just the illusion of choice but you know where you could do different things in like monkey island but then it would lead to the same thing Mm -hmm. they they would have little funny uh frills like there was a a thing with a prosthetics shop and usually you could only combine items if they were useful otherwise the 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 guy would be like you can't put those together or whatever like you're i'm not doing that i'm not doing that i'm not picking that up that's what i remember i'm not picking that up (laughs) all the time um but uh there was if you went into the prosthetic shop something that cracked me up was i tried to combine like all of the limbs and the head and whatnot and it to just, make a person it, no it just did put them all together but it was like there was no torso because it was a prosthetic shop so it's just like 
arms and legs coming off of a head, and it just sat in your inventory as abomination. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I love okay. That. Oof, back to changing tides. So this stupid clue with the wax, but either right before he figures out the candle thing or after, uh, he gets a fucking murder attempt against him. Yes. Jasper tries to throw him into the ocean. Yes. Yes. Which is, is not going to help him get treasure. It's just going to kill a boy. I think that his plan in this scene, now a certain scene with Jasper later on makes absolutely no sense, <laughs> but his plan in this scene, I think, is I would never actually drop this child. I just need him to think I will. Right, I'm just going to scare him into telling me what so, I want to know. And 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 Jasper has either just or is about to murder uh, Elliot. He, like, poisons him to death. He poisons him to death. I mean, this book is so vicious, so crazy hey, vicious. Hey, it's 1612, dude. Times be violent. I guess. it's it. There's something extra dark about the Jasper thing, because not only mm-hmm. is it that he will do whatever he can to become rich, he's... He's legitimately unwell to believe that a child has the secret to a treasure hunt. Yeah, he's like convinced that what Sam has gotten from Ilias is Elias, not, sorry, is a map, like a straight up map. Mm -hmm. When it's not, it's a letter. There's a number of points when I was like, just give him the fucking letter. There's no way he's going to be able to figure it out. No way. But but if he does give him a letter, it definitely becomes an... Ed Harris in National Treasure 2 thing, where he's definitely just chasing him down all the time, being like, okay, but like, help me with the next me. clue. Like, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. I do like that idea, though, that Jasper is the type of character who's like, believes in his own acumen so much that he would spend the rest of the book sitting there trying to crack the letter. And once, the, again, as I'm you were smart. saying, with this I can boat do thing. It. Once they're off the boat, he cannot solve the puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's over. So give him the fucking thing. And be like, this is the map. We couldn't figure it out. And then just like let him also not figure it out. There's like a series of ways to avoid the Jasper problem. And they just don't do it. In case it's not clear to the audience, what <laughs> Hannah means is that because the next clue is on the fucking boat. If you just get him into the mystery after you're off the boat, there's no way he's going to find the clue. It doesn't matter. It's a miracle you found it. It is. Knowing what we know at the end of the book, the fact that Gilbert is like, I've found an unbelievable treasure. It's so valuable. That's lies. Like, I don't know what his relationship to the native people was, but that feels like lies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Jasper tries to kill Sam, and William saves him, his hot, hunky brother. Yeah, then, his little life. Th- then, I mean, so little of this book takes place on the boat, but a lot of the, like, setup takes place on the boat. So, mm-hmm. uh, Elise has been murdered, the it, the kid has almost also been murdered, and then we have him discovering the clue, which, I guess I have to find the actual clue. Where is uh, it written? Here, it's on page 69. Oh, yeah, there you it's go. It's an inscription on a lantern that says, those lost leave their mark. Hail the crown, heed the dark. White, 1590. Mm Mm-hmm. End of clue. That's the whole clue. End of clue. Basically, the last thing that happens in the story before landfall. Yeah. 
Yeah. We get to landfall, and this guy on uh, <laughs> this guy tries to hire Sam. So everyone needs to find a job, right? Yes. Everyone needs to find a job so that they can pay back the Virginia company so that they can make a life in the Americas. And this happens. Um, someone comes up to William. It's William. Tries to hire him. And William says, what type of employment do you offer? Ah, you look like a strong lad, the man said with a smile, looking William up and down. My name is John Rolfe. I intend to export my first crop of tobacco back to England quite soon. I expect to need many more farmhands once people back in London get a taste of my new strain. I see, William said eagerly. I, William, Sam interrupted, grabbing him by the arm and pulling him away. Begging your pardon, sir, but I must speak with my brother a moment. And he basically speaks to him to be like, this guy's tobacco is famously bad. Don't work for him. Which, I'm I'm going to look it up. Is this guy real? Cause if John Rolfe? Yeah. Yes, that's the man who marries Pocahontas. And Virginia tobacco becomes the cash crop of the new world. Which is his. I, I don't yeah I guess so but like the 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 thing about Virginia soil when they land is that it is unbelievably rich and fertile and they're able to grow tobacco quickly successfully and to the point where they destroy the soil growing uh-huh, tobacco in uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. and like the reason the colonies really flourish is this tobacco trade because everybody in England is like we love tobacco it's great <laughs> give us more tobacco and for the Virginia and the extended colonies are able to fill that need so I think that William is making a mistake here he should tie his horse to John Rolfe that would be a perfectly successful business venture for him wow I, I can't believe how little I know about history the <laughs> The the thing You're is, I'm from I, a different part of the country than me. I mean, I'm I didn't come from that far away from Virginia. Um, <laughs> the I really thought this was just a story of a guy whose tobacco was so bad we still remember. Uh, no, he did quite well for himself and married Pocahontas. Wow. <laughs> he's he's a real. I wanted him to play more of a part in the story because I. You know, he doesn't get quite as much chitter-chatter as John Smith, but he did a lot in Virginia. And he made tobacco a successful cash crop. Our protagonist, Sam, mm-hmm. gets a uh, basically a, a pencils and paper job for a man and yes. becomes entwined with his two children. Yes. The first Elizabeth of which is Elizabeth, and yes. Hal. How would you describe Elizabeth and Hal? Uh, Elizabeth is like hot, but she doesn't know it. She's like, (laughs) (laughs) she's like cool. She's like a horsewoman. She's adventurous. She's brave. She's smart. You know, she's like a cool girl. Hal is like, you're reading the secret history, right? I'm I'm in the epilogue. Yeah, he's like bunny. He's like a useless, like soft boy Uh who's greedy and lazy. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, the audiobook of the secret history gets way better once the big thing that is the whole story happens because mm. her voice for that one character, so bad. Fascinating. Then she just gets to stop doing it. Oh, good. I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised she does voices at all. Yeah, I would advise it against like? it. I'm going to write her a letter. <laughs> you know that book you recorded in 1992? Uh, got some notes. Oof. 
<laughs> oh my god, hilarious. If, if listeners are not aware, the secret history is, for reasons completely unknown, narrated by Donna Tartt herself. <laughs> yeah, after that, she was like, no, never again. Totally. I don't exist. Leave me alone. <laughs> there's, there's also like... There's also, like, a bad episode of Authorized Room Tone under a lot of the chapters. (laughs) She did it, like, at her house into a tape recorder. Yes, yeah, on a hot day (laughs) with AC blaring. Oh, my God. I hope that you will send me a little audio clip of what she sounds like doing character voices. Well, you might not be surprised to learn that I have wanted to do that before. But the uh, being able to take a little clip of an audiobook is something I can't figure out. I would do it by doing like a screen record, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's a thing. It's, I'm learning okay. now. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So Look into it. Do a Google. I'll do a Google. I'm curious. I'm curious about her. I've never heard her voice, but I was Donna Tart for Halloween one year. Wow. Is that your is that your your letterbox photo? I think it is. Mm. It I'm is. just guessing because you're in like a sweater, and that seems to be hold on correct. For, yes, for her that, vibe. that was my Donna Tartt Halloween costume, yeah. Wow. I do have little cat ears in that picture, which were unrelated to the Donna Tartt costume. <laughs> <laughs> I found them at a party and put them on. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Elizabeth is, is, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, like, I mean, I think virtuous to the point of, like, being a little bit uninteresting as a character. She's uh-huh. just so helpful and so everything this young boy wants a young woman to be that she's not super compelling polite and deeply unprejudiced and like open to the world around her in a way that no one else is and it's like okay we get it she's like a modern character placed in 1612 and to Catherine hapka's credit uh she does put a little peppering of like the actual sensibilities of the age in the mind of sam the protagonist Mm -hmm. where when he first meets the Native American character, which we'll get to, he is like, Elizabeth hangs out with a Native American girl? Aren't they horrible savages who kill for no reason? And you're like, okay, <laughs> yes. well. Because, I, you know, I hate, I hate when, it's, when, when the protagonists of our stories are just like, I'm already enlightened. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's nice to have a character who is, like, enlightened enough to be friendly with the local peoples. The fact that, like, this girl has all of the the open-mindedness of a modern human woman just feels a little... It's su- It surprised me that this book was written by a woman, because this <laughs> particular character felt very like writing a, a love interest as like from a male perspective where you're just like, she, she would be so nice. <laughs> it's, the, it's a real burden of like 2007 feminism of like girls can do anything boys can do, but also she does want to kiss the boy. And you're like, maybe she should continue to want to kiss his brother. Yes. Like that would be a compelling bit of storytelling. Her agency in the love triangle, which emerges between Sam, William, and herself is mm-hmm. almost non-existent. I mean, we also never get any insight into what she is thinking about these various men in her life. That's what I mean. Because it's from Sam's perspective. That's what like, I mean. It be... is that there, it's the, the whole issue in the love triangle is just, I want her, but so does my brother. And the resolution mm-hmm. to it, which I think is a nice moment of communication, is Sam going, hey, William, I, I know you have the hots for 
this friend of ours, but like I, I've known her a little bit longer. I also have the hots. Would it be okay if I pursued her? And and it's a nice brotherly moment where he's like, you know what? Yes, absolutely. And, and thank <laughs> you for being so honest with me. And then the book kind of just ends on that where they're like, and therefore they probably fell in love. And you're like, did she get a say? Yeah, there are scenes where she's like talking to William and Sam is like, oh, they're flirting. Oh, my God. It's uh, she's not interested in me. But you never hear her say, like, I like William. I would love to marry William. Totally. Or Sam, either one of them. So it's all in his head in a way that's like, you're right, like removes her agency from the triangle in a way that is, as you were saying, like a disappointment. I do think it's a good recreation of of needless teenage angst. (laughs) Like, it, it, his reaction, Sam's, to watching her talk to William reminded me of when I had, like, a massive crush in high school, and I'd see her talking to some guy in the library, and they were obviously just talking about fucking school, and I would just, like, sit there being like, they have such natural chemistry, I never could, and it's like, you know, you're just hurting yeah. yourself for no reason. I think, like, Sam, who's, like, an intellectual and a reader, who is, like, crippled by his, like, anxiety because he's too in his head, and his brother, who's, like, a beefy jock, is just like, I like her. She's cool. I think I'd like to marry her. And then later is like, there's other women here. It's no big deal. <laughs> oh, my my hometown crush is actually coming over on the next boat. No biggie. <laughs> Enjoy your horse, girl. Yeah, so the thing I find uh, hilarious about Hal is the brother is mm-hmm. he's a he's a sniveling little uh kind of a i don't know would you agree like a bunny from the secret history type and um <laughs> he's the, the the plot of the book like he he's he's let in on the treasure hunt sort of against the character's will the main character's will and he comes along for some of the clue finding and he even helps at points but the book is so obsessed with the idea of having like a Draco Malfoy that every time he does something good Catherine Hapka goes out of her way to be like and then he was just being so shitty right after like she really does not allow that character to grow even though the plot necessitates that he he does good things yeah you would kind of want him to get like so caught up in the mystery and the fun of solving it with his new a a person he didn't think was a friend and then it turns out they're friends Right. You know, that sort of growth for him. And no, yeah, indeed. She's like, yeah, he helped them solve it. And then he immediately turned around and gave it to the bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) And he's lazy and he's mean and he's prejudiced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hal is funny. And I liked when he appeared in the book, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's an upsetting presence in a way that that was very amusing. (laughs) I think I found where they sort of crack the next clue. Mm-hmm. He's talking to Elizabeth and uh, Samus, and he says, Well, it was thanks to you that I made the connection. Remember how you mentioned the lost Roanoke colony yesterday? That reminded me that the verse on the lantern was attributed White 1590. I realized it must refer to Governor John White, who discovered in that year that the colony had been lost. Liz's eyes lit up. I see, she cried. Your friend uh, Elias's cousin must have seen that lantern on the constant. Right, Sam stopped short and smiled at her. They had reached a quiet area just a few yards inside the exit from the fort. And then, based a clue on the verse, planting a coded message to his cousins in the letter 
so they would be sure to take the particular ship over and figure out the meaning once they saw the verse. Uh, and the meaning is what exactly? Think about it, Sam urged. The verse says, those lost leave their mark. Their mark. That would be the mark on the tree. The word Cro Croatoan, which was left by the lost colonists. The treasure must be hidden in Roanoke near that tree. He grinned, pleased with his own deduction. That's one of the things I wish to ask you. How far is Roanoke from here? And then she's like, further than you could ever <laughs> Super imagine. Super far. <laughs> yeah, I do appreciate that Sam makes incorrect guesses pretty often. Right, because they don't before... end up going to fucking Roanoke. Right, that is not what the clue is saying. Uh, but he makes some wrong guesses before figuring out the right thing. Which it turns out, they're like, oh, the crown. The Crotoans are a tribe which fall under Powhatan's, Powhatan's, like, kingship. So the crown of the Croatoans is, and then they learn from Matachana. Which is their Elizabeth's Native American friend. Native American friend, yeah. Who is also a princess. She's like Pocahontas' sister. Mm-hmm. Um, that the crown is in the local village and they could go look at it. Right. Whew. A lot Ooh. of work. A lot of work. A lot of work not to intuitive. recap this book, even. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These are not like intuitive clues. Like, I feel like in the National Treasure movies, they look at a clue and they're like, oh, you can see if you overlay the pictures that it points directly to the Washington Monument or whatever. And these are really convoluted. I mean, even in the National Treasure movies, in that first one where they're like using Benjamin Franklin's bifocals or whatever, <laughs> the, 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 the logic part that I can't follow in these is when you figure out one thing that is a piece of a clue, if I figured out that the bifocals showed me something, I just wouldn't know where the hell to look. <laughs> I'd be running around being like, do I look at money? Do I look at a chapel? Chapels are quite old. <laughs> Every time in these this book, th this book and these movies, they're always like, ah, yes, I figured out that it has to do with the sunset. And I figured out exactly where we need to watch it from. Uh, yeah, when Sam figures out that they have, so like the, they do a bunch of shenanigans to get access to this crown which sam looks at and is like i don't really see anything here and then he has to like escape from the indian village and it's like dramatic but nothing bad happens so right. that's fine then later it occurs to him that like oh the shape is a river or a tree or something and i've seen it and they go there and they look around and they don't find it and then there's a point when he's like oh the moon of course duh and i don't <laughs> understand how he reaches that conclusion at all He's like, we have to go back to that spot when the moon is up. And I was like, ha what? Totally, totally. It doesn't make any sense. I could never solve this puzzle. And in that particular one, he does that annoying thing characters do where he's like, I can't explain it. Just come with oh. me. And you're like, do you know you're being watched by an audience? <laughs> and even, even if you didn't, right? You're running through the woods together. You have time to talk while you're in motion. It, it reminds me of that, that Simpsons gag. I've never, ever watched The Simpsons. Have I revealed this on... I don't know if you yet. have. I, I've like, never, ever watched an episode of The Simpsons, and I have a really beautiful relationship to it where every time someone posts a joke or a meme from The Simpsons, mm -hmm. I just find it incredibly funny. And I'm like, seems like a great <laughs> show. Wow. Uh, wow. Um, but there's that one where uh, the, a, a character is talking to the, the whole family, and the, the family's like, 
oh, are you going to drive us there? That sounds great. And the guy's like, why drive? And then there's a scene transition, and he's like, when we can fly. And they're like in an airplane. And Marge goes, you didn't speak to us for 90 minutes. <laughs> there is something, there's like, that is like a film technique, right? Of like, yeah. you're having a continuing monologue as you move from position to position. <laughs> and you just can't overthink it, because indeed, it makes no fucking sense. You, you saw the beach bum, right? No. Oh, the beach bum has this crazy editing technique that I think about all the time, where like Matthew McConaughey and Jonah Hill will be having a conversation in on a boat, and it'll like cut to that conversation continuing on a hike, and it'll cut to it continuing in an apartment. But then eventually, mm -hmm. as the conversation continues in a logical fashion, it will cut back and forth between all the locations. <laughs> Which makes no fucking sense. That's cr that's even crazier than how it is usually used. I mean, that one is like that one is is admirable because it's it's fully going. This could not occur in reality. We're mm -hmm. doing intentional abstraction. Whereas the thing we're talking about, the trope of just it continues as you move from location to location or whatever, is at least maybe trying to convince you that that's what happened. You might have to assume that there's a lot of not important dialogue happening yes. in between the cuts. Yes. <laughs> I do like the idea of like we're bouncing from place to place all over and you're just having like a non-linear conversation that like by the time the both of you get to the end of it, you're like, we got all the relevant points. <laughs> yeah. We did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, before we talk about what happens next in this mystery... Mm -hmm. Let's, Hannah. Why don't you tell the people what happens on page one fourteen? Okay, let me look at what. Let me look. Just a little small. Oh yeah. Event. <laughs> Jasper shoots Sam with an arrow in an attempt to murder him. Yep. Just comes up to him while uh, Sam's working in the woods and uh, shoots him with an arrow, intending for the arrow to go through his heart. It hits him in the shoulder, he falls down, hits his head on a sharp rock, and almost drowns. Mm-hmm. He should die an in this moment. man mm -hmm. following around an 18-year-old mm -hmm. who he heard on a boat had a clue to a treasure given to him by a dying old man. Yep. Like, this guy's got to get hobbies or something. Yeah, and also, like, he shoots Sam with an arrow, I assume, to frame the local Indian population for Sam's murder. Pretty fucked up. Which, if then the local Indian population, you know, like, if you guys start retaliating against each other, they will kill all of you. Yep. Like, the colonists are not in a strong position here. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> he really doesn't think it through in, in seemingly he any thought regard. It through Enough to think I don't want to get in trouble by shooting this boy with a gun. So I'll frame. He like thinks one step ahead, but not two steps where immediately it falls apart. How are you going to get that letter off of him? How are you going to solve a puzzle? How are you going to do any of this if that boy is dead? I think this is at the point in the story when he is hiding the letter under his pillow. Mm, so Jasper could have maybe perhaps. just gone and grabbed it, but. Instead, he shoots a boy and leaves him to die. The, the imposter syndrome on this guy is incredible. This is the, the aspect I'm really fixated on, which is he he's an adult man, Jasper, that mm -hmm. believes in treasure, 
believes yeah. in national treasure and he's going to find it. However, he doesn't yeah. believe in his own treasure hunting prowess. He's like mm-hmm. has imposter syndrome to the degree where he's like, uh, oh, Elias, that guy had the juice and he's I killed him, but I have to find his treasure because he obviously had the really good. He had the he, he had the Glengarry leads. He had like the good stuff. I, I, I don't have shit. And so <laughs> he's like a diehard treasure hunter, but his only version of treasure hunting is like poaching. Yes. He's stupid. He's a stupid person. Hal at some point gets brought in to this treasure hunt, uh, sort of against yes. Sam's will. And we get this passage because it's an, it's an uneasy, te- or it's a tense alliance because they don't really trust Hal. They're worried Hal's going to go to Jasper. Uh, as Catherine mm-hmm. Hapka tells us on every single page, Hal's a bad egg. <laughs> Immediately, Hal is like, why don't we work with Jasper? That seems fine to me. Yes, which I think um, is a great character touch because it makes it... Hal seems like the type of guy who just thinks everyone who is an older man than him is smart. Yes, agreed. Uh, and doesn't care that he tried to kill Sam. He's like, and? <laughs> that happens all the time here. What about it? We can still work with him. Uh, he tried to kill you, but you're looking for treasure. I I don't so, like, see the problem. Normal. Uh, I have this down as uh, Hal is a real piece of shit. Uh, the passage is... Uh, Hal looks suspicious. Very well, he said. Just remember, if you try anything sneaky, like cutting me out of my share of the treasure, I'll be very angry. So angry, I might have to tell my father about Elizabeth's little pet savage. If he ever heard real, she was... wait till my father hears about this. Wait till my father hears about this. He'll kill your friend. <laughs> if he ever heard she was sneaking off to consort with those creatures, those creatures, she might as mm. well run off and live with them as those crazy colonists from Roanoke are said to have done. He shrugged. Because she'd, better, because she'd be better off taking her chances with the King of the Savages than facing my father when he's angry. Um, that being said, his father, every time we've met him, seems like a very nice, reasonable man. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't yeah. make sense. Doesn't track. Doesn't track at all. Hal, that stinker. Not so nice. I mean, going back to how this book is 300 pages long, we've gone from, like, clue to clue is at least 40 pages. Yes. Usually. Yes. There are pages and pages in between every clue of Sam being like, oh, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. I'm trying, <laughs> I but I'm not I guess I just have to coming. go to work. Let me describe the shape of the fort at Jamestown. Hmm. What's that clue mean? Well, this has got to be how Catherine Hapka storyboarded this, right? This is ha- has to be the way in which she laid out the plots, because there are times, sure, when they're looking for a clue, and Sam will be like, Elizabeth looked so pretty while we were looking for the clue, or she's so giving, or whatever. But for the most part, this is a bifurcated way of writing, where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we find a clue, that's a new thing we're thinking about, and in the meantime, let me give you more character development about Jamestown. Then we yeah. find another clue. That's a chapter. Then now we're back to what's it like to live here? What's the relationship with the savages? Yes. Is the next big thing that happens that Liz's dress lights on fire and William saves her and no, Sam is no. like, God damn it. So the, yeah, the, the dress on fire thing is a whole thing. <laughs> on 138, uh, Matachana, the um, Native American friend, helps with the headdress clue Mm -hmm. this is uh elizabeth talking to sam 
Uh, I saw her this morning while dumping out the chamber pots by the river, she said, squinting against the morning sun. I told her of our latest theory, and you shall never believe what she told me in return. She says there is a Croatoan headdress that is well known among all the tribes of the coastland. It once belonged to Wingana, Wingana? The native chief who was killed by a man named Lane from the Roanoke colony. Matachana also says that Wingana's headdress was held by the Croatoan Werowentz for a while. She brushed away a pesky fly buzzing around her face. But these days, it is held by none other than Chief Powhatan, which is uh, Matachana and Pocahontas' father? Yeah. Yes, totally. And so th- this propels... Sam to be like, okay, I have to find the headdress, which is like a heist in and of itself. It is a heist. And also William gets uh, framed for theft. That's the thing. That is a big thing. In very rapid succession, William Mm -hmm. is framed for stealing an important case from the governor. And Liz just gets lit on fire. That part I'm a little confused (laughs) about. But she just is like a klutz for like one second and lights herself on fire. The the thing with um William is is basically that Jasper commits a crime and frames William by like putting it in his per Mm -hmm. you know, putting the governor's papers in William's personal uh cubby or whatever. And they're gonna straight up hang him. They are. They're gonna hang him. And the rules at Jamestown are strict, my dude. (sighs) Yeah, the rules of Jamestown are strict, but this is one of those instances where we really run up against the strangeness of the children's historical novel. That, like, you you think it's a little dark that they're threatening to kill his brother? It's not... I I, I commend Catherine for putting it in the book. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what they would maybe do at the time. The thing that I find odd is that she goes that dark... And I don't know how far you've made it into Midnight Ride, but there's a similar event that's like historically like, oh shit, that used to happen? Oh God. Oh no, a tar and feathering? Yeah. (gasps) But then the way they resolve the thing that might end in a hanging is is like Disney Channel Nick Jr. BS. (laughs) Yes. And then later, they have a similar issue. They're like, oh, no, we're in the same situation that almost got William hung. And they solve it through more Disney Channel shenanigans that are like, okay, that's that (laughs) shenanigan, like embarrassing. And of course, you mean that almost got William hanged. Sure. Because William Hung, of course, was that one American Idol contestant who (laughs) became memetically popular for... um, Yes. how poor he was at singing. So here's here's how they get <laughs> William off the hook for stealing these documents and, and he's going to be hanged for it. It's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. Hal gets them out of trouble and uh, someone asks Hal, what do you want about, boy? He demanded, sounding impatient. If you've information on this crime, spit it out or else I'll, ha- I'll have you thrown in prison as well. Hal looked nervous, but he kept talking. I was walking by your house, sir, and I witnessed the whole thing through the window. He said, the words coming rapidly. One of your servants was walking by and accidentally knocked the document case to the floor with her elbow and then left the room without noticing she'd done so. A few moments later, the blacksmith's mutt came in carrying a horseshoe in its jaws. It dropped the shoe and grabbed the silver case, then made off with it. He finally paused long enough to take a deep, albeit shaky, breath. The dog must have dropped your case in William Gates' things when it returned to the forge. Sam narrowed his eyes, trying to deduce whether Hal was telling the truth. Like everyone else in the settlement, 
he'd seen the blacksmith's black and white dog wandering about the fort at will. It did have a reputation for trouble, though its usual targets were edible stuff and leather goods, not horseshoes and silver cases. It seems obvious to me that the way to write this is to be like, don't you think, sir, that the dog could have done this? To have sort of this like agreed-upon lie or something? The fact mm-hmm. that Hal, the character, is legitimately asking the governor to be like, please believe that a your servant knocked it over and then the dog came and took it and then put it where it was most incriminating. And then the book and Catherine mm-hmm. Hapka go to me, they go, and the thing is this this excuse, it was somewhat plausible given the dog's act. It's too much. <laughs> I can't take it. It's the sort of thing where I'm like, that's a real my dog ate my homework excuse. It's and the it most excuse sounding excuse. Yeah, it's, and the governor's like, well, this doesn't seem true, but okay. And then everyone else is like, but it must be true. And the governor's like, well, I guess if everybody thinks it's true, I don't (laughs) want to look stupid, so. Yeah. Uh, They let William go, though nobody trusts him anymore. And I thought this was weird plot sequencing right after this as Liz lighting herself on fire and William and Liz having a moment of like, oh, William saved me. Maybe Maybe I'm hot for him. It's like, I don't know if that makes sense right after the he almost got hanged plot point. <laughs> it's like it's not the mood. Uh, it does feel like it's not the mood, but you can't put aside romance just because your life is on the line. Like, you never know. Yeah, so And true. he saves her life. To be fair, she is in danger of dying. Mm. So he saves her life, and everyone's like, oh, that William Gates, he's a good egg, because he saved Elizabeth, and we love her. So let's spread that word around town so everybody likes him again, which also works. Just works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. in Jamestown, they are just ready to believe. Ah, that's why they came to the New World with hope in their hearts and yeah. belief in their dreams. This is re- this, this this book is really a prescription, and by that I mean pr- prescription with an O, a warning against <laughs> having hope in your heart. Because Jasper yes. really has hope in his heart that this one guy believes like that he's onto a real treasure. It makes mm-hmm. him do some bad stuff. I mean, there there is like shortly after William gets in trouble, like they hear from Matachana who's like, yeah, I got to look at the crown, but not super well because my dad showed up and caught me looking at it and beat me. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam's like, yeesh, I should stop asking people for help. I'm getting people in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the real world consequences of this, that's a great point. The real world consequences of this are largely hand waved. There's a thing mm-hmm. on 169, which is of course famously a perfect square, where what does that mean? Uh, it's 13 squared. Why is that perfect? What? <laughs> Just I mean, it's a perfect square, meaning that the square root of it is a whole number. Okay. Right, like 170 also has a square root, but it's 13 point something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Glad to be on the same page. <laughs> These are things I know and understand. The The book keeps hand-waving consequences. It, it, it goes, okay, yes, Matachana asking about things. She got beat. She got in trouble. But she really wants to keep helping, so maybe let her. And then on page 169, we they mm-hmm. just casually throw out a laundry list of, like, actual injustices done against the natives in the past from the stubborn tilt of her chin sam knew arguing was out of the question so very early the next morning both of them found themselves waiting in a secluded spot for matachana to appear 
She smiled shyly when she saw Sam there, but the smile vanished when Liz and Sam told her of their latest plan. Oh, but that could mean death, and not just for the both of you, she cried in her accented English. My father is angry for your pe- with your people lately. There was the fight with your le- leader Radcliffe and Chief De La War's many raids upon our villages these last several years, the burning of our cornfields and the killing of our people. Her face was sad as she spoke. There was even the way my sister, Matawaka, was told that her friend John Smith was dead when we later learned he had really sailed for your homeland. Matawaka pined so that my father nearly wiped out your village then. Such a thing as you are suggesting could be all it takes to push him to that decision after all. You can't really include this in the book and then also be like, but let's continue our little treasure hunt. The stakes are too high. Yeah, they're very high. I wish it came to more of a crux, actually. Yeah. Like, there is a point later in the book where you're like, oh no, hostilities are about to break out. And then they just sort of get, like, talked down. Right. And I really expected that whatever Sam finds or is going to do would, like, smooth things over more than it does. It does a little, but it it's not, like, the major solve point. Does that make sense? Yeah, It they, they talk a lot about how there's a bunch of animosity between the two peoples but then it never explodes into anything bigger and it's 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 the issue of they want to use that real historical thing which is bloody and scary and blah 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 Mm -hmm. but they don't want to have a book that is like horribly upsetting right right you don't want a book that that is like yeah and then the colonists slaughtered the local people or vice versa so hannah it sounds like maybe you can't help me on the one plot point i really need help with okay when they get the headdress, or when they see the headdress, there is a broken arrow uh, mm-hmm. as a design on the inside. It's essentially the next clue. They're trying to figure out what to do with it. We yes. get a very cinematic mm-hmm. moment, kind of the the detective being like, "Oh, I figured out who the killer is." Where you you know he always knows before the the audience, right? We yes. get that with this clue, and I don't understand it at all. This is Sam. Finally, his mind was nearly as exhausted as his body. He was about to snuff out the candle and go to bed when a faint shadow fell across the notebook page, which was open to the drawing of the map. It was only a spider spinning its way down from the rafters, but Sam stared at it, his mind clicking back into full gear. Then he smiled. A few minutes later, he was racing across the fields outside the fort at full speed. He goes to find the shadow of a thing that looks like an arrow geographically in the moonlight, right? Yes. What did the spider do for him? I think it's it's nighttime. He's looking out the window. He sees the spider and seeing the silhouette of the spider against the moon. He's like, oh, the arrow and the moon. That's what it is. It's about like the conjunction of arrow and moon. And so I have to go look at it while the moon is full. And so what about the clue... That makes perfect sense in regard to okay. the spider, but what about the clue tells him moon? It's a circle. There's a circle. It's a reach. It's, I, a it's not reach. great. I, I wouldn't be like, that's it for sure. You know? Yeah. A much less exciting sequence where it's like, do you want to just walk out there and see? We could just see. I don't know. I don't feel super great about it. It's also like the sort of thing where he's like, if we don't go tonight, we'll miss the full moon and we'll have to wait a month. And they happen to make it right in time. And they follow the arrow. 
to a place where they dig up a little box. Of coins. Yep. Of coins. Three little coins. They think, oh, the coins, these are the treasure, but they're like, they're little rinky-dink coins. They're not worth anything. They have funny shapes on them. What's that? They have funny shapes on them. Mm -hmm, That basically Mm -hmm. look like letters. Yeah, but aren't. Yes, and it turns out the coins themselves are the next clue. And um, Hannah, what does this clue mean? I'm not, I don't get this one. There's like a, there's like um, that you would know what order to put them in or I don't know. But there's like a Y with a dot. Uh And they're like, oh, that's, that's a V in the river. So we'll go stand in the place with the V with the river. Okay. And then one of them is like a Z. Right? Uh And standing in the spot in the river, they're like, oh, there's a tree that's been struck by lightning. And the Z is not a Z, it's a lightning bolt. Mm -hmm. So they go there. Then the last one is like a lowercase t and an arrow or whatever. So like, okay, so standing at the, I don't even know if this is right. But standing at the at the tree that's been struck by lightning or whatever, they're like, we have to go back towards the Christian village. It's not a T, it's a cross. Back towards Jamestown. Four Sorry, steps. Sorry, my mind's being blown. Give me just a second. It's not a T, it's a dang cross. It's a dang cross, baby. <laughs> then we go back four steps towards the Christian village, and then we dig, and then we find the treasure. Right. Right? Right. Something like that. I think by this point in the book, I had realized that I didn't need to read every sentence for clues. And maybe <laughs> I was going a little too fast to actually understand the real clues. How does this all lead them to a clock? Oh, God, the clock. Uh, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Okay. Oh, my God. Because there's like two more fucking clues. Okay. So they do all this shenanigans and they dig up an even smaller box that has gunpowder in it. Mm-hmm. Right. And on top of the gunpowder box, it says, like, M. Carta. And they're like, huh, huh, gunpowder. Oh, the cannons on the fort use gunpowder. And those are the only guns that might, are definitely still here from when Gilbert was here. Right, and the and cannons the are named Carta, for kings. Exactly. So they're like, okay, we want the king who wrote the Magna, or signed the Magna Carta. So they find that thing. They feel around, they do, like, a bunch of, like, guard shenanigans are like hey guard tell me about the guns to distract him for reasons that seem unnecessary uh-huh so that sam can like feel a symbol which is a clock face with a w where the nine would go right it's on the west mm-hmm. and they figure out that the West on the clock stands for, I'm like, in the page is the only reason that I remember these details. The, the W does stand for West, Thomas West, which is the given name of Baron de la War. After all, he was the owner of one of the only modern clocks in this settlement. Wow! And everyone's like, oh, wow, that's neat. Hal figures that out. Good for Hal. Is there a passage right afterward that's like, but he still sucked so bad? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sam's like, how did you figure it out? And Sam's like, I'm not so dumb, huh? And Liz says, it's only because of the clock. Hal always takes note of rare, expensive things like that. Which is really just saying, like, he's greedy and he only cares about, like, wealth and the trappings of wealth. So, yeah, I think immediately she's like, yeah, but he sucks. Yeah, yeah, that's that's 
stupid. Yeah. He he only likes that because they're worth something. It's like Jesus Christ. He has a hobby and he seems like he's really good at it. Good for him. He pays attention to clocks. That's cool. So they're like, oh no! But Delawar returned to England, so the clock is gone forever. We've lost our chance. And Hal is like, it's not gone. The clock remains. It's with the governor. And they're like, oh no, now we have to sneak into the governor's house. Another dangerous sneak around. So they do. I, I mean, Hannah, you're doing a terrific job of laying out how, seriously, like, I mean, it's, it's, you're doing a terrific job of laying out how one clue leads to another. But for the listener, if this is like interminably unfollowable. <laughs> that's how it feels reading it's it. It's because that's how it feels to read this. This book is like, I mean, I'm reminded of that, like, that comedy Bang Bang duo, which I assume they don't do this character anymore, because I think one of them was Middle Ditch, who's, like, not the most popular guy anymore. But mm. there was that, that duo that would always come on Comedy Bang Bang that was, like, you know, kid detectives, and they just, like, grabbed onto anything that they heard and extrapolated from it that there was treasure at the White House. <laughs> and that's what like the entire back half of this book is. It's them like I mean that coins thing is such unbelievable malarkey. It, it they they pull these coins out of the ground. They look like letters, and so we get the misdirect of what are they trying to spell? What do they stand for? Are they initials, and then the the they I thought jumped. that they would spit together to create one image that would be kind of a map. But no. No. And and there is nothing in the, I want to say, Thomas Middleditch, Lauren Lapkus, you know, routine that even approaches the ridiculousness of, obviously, it means that one thing is a lightning struck tree, and the other thing is a river, and the third thing, a cross, which tells us also the number of paces to take from the tree to the river. It's like, it's just, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. it transcends beyond like silly little fun kid bullshit into like this is this is impressionistic you know uh, some sort of art house performance and it really is like nothing we the reader have ever seen or could ever encounter or know about so they're just like super fast-paced being like of course it's this thing that we've all seen but never mentioned which obviously leads us to this other thing this clock which we've never talked about before but we all know I, so like jesus christ the never talk about before thing i i think Catherine hapka is a talented writer she did one of the high school musical books we covered i i, forget, hmm. I think it was one of the ones i did oh yeah Catherine. i think that the answer here even though uh, kids probably don't finish the book is let her write a book that's, you know, 400 pages, 450 <laughs> pages. And because because the the satisfying way to do a mystery like this is to set up Jamestown so much that when we get these clues, we as the readers can be like, that probably means the clock or whatever. Right, yes. And when she's writing about Jamestown and existing in this town and, and, and like, being in the new world and what does that even mean? What are we all doing here? How do we exist with the native people? She obviously is way more invested in that than the clue stuff. I mean, just that's my yeah. personal opinion. And I think the best version of this is... I think you can is, tell because the clues don't make fucking sense. Right. And I, I think the best version of this is that she gets to write half a book that essentially doesn't have overt intrigue. And mm -hmm. then... Once the dominoes start falling, they're dominoes we've actually seen before. I think that would be really helpful. I mean, I think there's 
I think you could do it in a book this length or a book that's shorter. And part of the trick is like combining things so that you end up in the right situation. So like if Sam goes to work for the governor Mm -hmm. and is in his house a lot, then he has already seen the fucking clock. And maybe we've read about it. And maybe Elizabeth like works as a housemaid or whatever Mm -hmm. to get her in there too. Mm -hmm. So like, you could do it. And there's like a there's like because the governor has the same last name as Sam and William, like I think it's a pretty easy in to be like, "Hey boy, come work for me. Why not?" And then like you're there and you have that stuff established or like, you know, he's sent out to do some like path clearing. Mhm. And that's an opportunity for him to be like, huh, that river is kind of shaped like a Y. Huh, that tree is kind of a funny shape. Hmm, I wonder if that'll come back later. You know, like maybe that stuff's heavy handed. But in a book like this written for this audience, I wouldn't mind some heavy handed clue laying. I agree. That later pays off. I agree. I agree. It's like you can insult me a little bit if it gives the book uh, a a bit more structure. I would be so thrilled to be like oh man like the clock at the governor's house yeah i don't care if it was laid out so if i was like reading i was like oh that clock's gonna come back later by the time it came back later i would be so excited to figure that out for myself along with sam and hal and liz you might worry as the reader how did they get the governor's clock without getting in a ton of trouble well they found a brilliant out uh and it is of course that uh, Sam is asked, what are you going to do? You know, what what are you going to do about the clock? We have it. We could once again get hanged. Getting hanged yeah, is back on the table. Yeah, they steal it instead of just looking at it. I have no intention of risking anyone's life, except perhaps that dog's. Fucking dog. Sam had spotted the blacksmith's black and white cur among the dogs in the street, grabbing him by the scruff of the neck. Really nice guy. He dragged the beast off behind a pile of lumber. It whined and wriggled, but didn't otherwise protest. It sounds like it's protesting to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, When it emerged a second later, its tail was wagging, and the clock was clenched firmly in its jaws. Another dog spotted its new prize and gave chase, and before long, the black and white dog was dodging through the crowd chased by its compatriots. There you go. Sam walked off towards the black gate, not looking back even when a cry went up as someone spotted the clock. That's taken care of. Now, let's find that treasure. They're going to get this dog it's fucking so... shot. And yeah. the, the the other thing is, just once again, this feels like point-and-click problem-solving. How do you get it it's back like... in the governor's mansion without getting in trouble? I can just imagine Guybrush Threepwood clicking on the dog. That was the main character's name. Clicking on the dog and being like, here, boy, here, boy. And then like it's just all whatever. It's really so, that feels like a lazy solution to me because like seconds before that at the chapter break, they're like, oh no, everyone thinks that the Indians stole the clock and now there's going to be a major problem and we're all going to have to <laughs> fight for our lives. And Sam's just like, nope, shoved us in the dog's mouth, sends it's on its way. Problem solved. And I'm like, what are you talking about problem solved? <sighs> I hope we haven't caused too much trouble between our colony and Powhatan's people, Liz said. Yeah, I fucking hope not. We finally, on page 250, get to the end of this treasure hunt. (laughs) The map, from the clock, of course, led them to a shady clearing between a sheer rock wall and a grove of tall, narrow pines. Sam had grabbed a pick and spade on their way out of the fort. There was no one in the forge to stop him, as everyone in the settlement was out on the streets, and he quickly dug into the soft ground. It only took a few minutes to unearth the treasure. 
Now this is more like it, Hal said between huffs and puffs. As he helped Sam, he's fat. Um, Hall, the, the, the book is a little, he's fat. Yeah, he's, he's soft. He's a soft boy. It's not, it's not uh, Jurassic Park flyers, but it's, it's, it's a little like... Yeah, everything about Hal is like not what he should be. Like he's fat and mean and a bad person. Yeah. And the book wants you to remember. If you're for some reason of someone who's tuning in for the national treasure content, you've never <laughs> listened to this podcast before. I'm not fat shaming this character. It just is a thing in this type of book that they go like, this character is a bad character. And you know how you know? Fat guy. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Um, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. Also, sometimes they show it by having them be a woman. Certain novelizations. A fat woman? No, just, yeah, just God oh, forbid. Just so, certain oh, also, writers are just like. Though. Certain writers we've covered are just like, this is a bad character. You know how you know? A woman. 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 <laughs> now, this is more like it, Hal said between huffs and puffs as he helped Sam haul the large metal bound trunk out of its hole and into a patch of sunlight. I've had just about enough of those small boxes. Funny, though, I'd thought a big chest full of gold and jewels might be a bit heavier. Uh, he, He thinks about Elias, and he's like, I wish you could be here. And basically, they open it up, and it's a bunch of Native American treasure that is just, it's sort of, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's... It's cultural it's, treasure. Exactly. It's, it's like of... sentimental, well, culturally sentimental. Yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to belittle it. But, like, it's, it, it's, it's value. It's a real... Crystal Skull, you know, knowledge was their treasure type deal. Its value is what it represents. And so mm-hmm. it not only is this really interesting treasure to uncover, it also is sort of a peace offering between the colonizers of Jamestown and the native people. And then, because no child could handle that, they do find a nice gold ring at the bottom. I mean, it really, it feels to me like they've gone through all this and what they find is... Uh, cultural treasure and sam is like it doesn't feel like we should keep it because it means nothing to me so i guess we can just give it back to them right and i i found that like disappointing like i don't know not that i needed them to find a bunch of gold but i don't feel like any of these characters really understand what they've unearthed what it means or why it matters to these people at all you know, like, I don't feel like they learn anything from the process of being like, oh, the true treasure is our community. You know, it's our cultural history. They do the altruistic thing, and yet their reasoning for doing the altruistic thing is this would not benefit me. Yeah. it's, it's It doesn't feel totally great. Plus his logic, 268 into 269. Uh, so this makes everyone satisfied with their lot, Sam thought, watching as Liz tried the ring on her finger and held it up to admire in the sunlight. It is the same way the raccoon does not value the same things as the bird. That is why there is room for both of them in the forest, just as there is room for both our peoples in this great, rich, wonderful land. That doesn't sound like that character. No, and also it's like, good thought that you can coexist. I like that part of the mm-hmm. thought, but weird to just be like, well, they like this. I don't see what it's about at all, at all. Yeah, I mean, it feels like I wish there was a moment where, like, Powden or that old woman they talked to is like, let me explain to you why these things matter to us so that you can learn about our culture and we can come to some greater understanding of each other. Right. I mean, to be fair, though, when the Indian chief is like, hey, we found a bunch of Western, like, European junk among our stuff. You want your junk? 
weed it means nothing to us <laughs> it is kind of funny that they're all experiencing the exact same thing it is it like is. your little diamond ring or whatever means literally fucking nothing to us have fun Bye. It, it is true to the national treasure movies but i just found it funny that that the book ended with a it's native american treasure what are you gonna do never mind we found something really valuable actually we're good we're good <laughs> we're good we got the money we got the money the book does end on a, a series of character moments i really liked uh, mm-hmm. We talked about Sam asking William to date, uh, whether he can date Liz. And William's like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm glad you communicated that to me. It's just like a nice moment between brothers. And then Sam gets the letter letter from his father. And it says, uh, Sam skimmed the letter. Happy to see his father's familiar spiky writing interspersed with his mother's loopier script. It reminded him of the way his parents had taught him reading and writing by turns. His mother finding such a thing natural due to her higher birthright. His father wishing his sons to lack no advantages in life beyond those they could not help. I suppose it's true, that phrase I read in Mr. Davison's book of poems, Sam thought with a pang, absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's, uh... Oh, and even more. With that, his nostalgic thoughts wandered to the little bookbinder's shop where he'd sat upon a stool many nights... After hours, poring over all sorts of texts and dreaming of adventure in faraway lands, that young man had had no idea what was in store for him or what type of riches the new world held. And there are passages throughout the book that are like, where he's essentially saying like the real riches, even if I don't find the treasure, are like, I know Elizabeth. He comes to mm-hmm. a good understanding of like my family and my the people in my life are like something to be more grateful for than anything else. Yes. And he gets a big ring. And he gets a huge ring. And he gets a wood medallion that he's told is some sort of clue to more gold rings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it also ends on a good national treasure beat of like, and there's more treasures ahead. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, is the beat picked up in Midnight Ride? I mean, I'm not super far into it, but there is a lot where that character's dad is, like, obsessed with the medallion because nobody's figured it out yet. Well, I, I, I believe in the first 10 or 20 pages, they name drop Samuel. Yes. Yes. They do. So, and his wife, Elizabeth. <gasps> they did it. Those crazy kids got hitched. Wow. Like, probably two weeks after this <laughs> She was <laughs> like, pregnant. He's 18, she's later. 17, they yeah. are married. The only other thing I wanted to say about the book is, and I assume this will be true of the others, is that it ends in a nice postscript where Catherine Hapka basically is like, here are the things I invented for the book. Here are the characters that were real. Here's the things about those real people I made up and, and, and you know, what I, what I didn't, what I just pulled from history. And yeah. the whole book, her voice in the whole book seems to have an attitude of like, this was a fun thing to do. I think historical fiction seems fun. Yeah. I, I mean, I like to read it. Uh, I mean, we talked about this a little in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I feel like there's a couple of these. Where I'm like, I like it when you take history and you change it a little. Or you don't change it, but you put other people into it, and you have a different experience with it. Like, I really like that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's it's got to be a dream for someone who, like, already cares about history. For me, I would just uh, exaggerate to the point where people would be like, this is wrong. You this do have is, to do a lot of research. This is really wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there, something I would have, I would love to ask her, Catherine Hapka, come on authorized, is uh, the the dedication at the beginning of this book. Uh, Thank you to those who started this hunt: Oren Aviv, Charles Seegers, Jim Kauf, and Jason Reed, 
and those who carried it on. And it's a bunch more people. And the, because the credit on the first page is by Catherine Hapka based on characters created for the theatrical motion picture National Treasure. Screenplay by Jim Kauf and Cormac Wiberly and Marianne Wiberly. Story by Jim Kauf and Orin Aviv and Charles Seegers. It seems like, from the way she writes about it, someone came up with the story for these books and then she was tasked to write them. Hmm, I wonder. Or if that screenplay and story by only relates to the theatrical motion picture National Treasure. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I would be intrigued if, like, Disney was like, hey, here's an outline of some mysteries. Write books. And she was like, okay. Like, that would be a fascinating way to be like, you can make up your characters, but here's all the clues that we want covered. Yeah. Yeah. Would be kind of crazy. Kind of wild. Anyway, I liked this book. I like that the cover has a bunch of clues that aren't true. Who was an enemy or or who, who did we have tensions with at this time? The British Empire. In 1612? Yeah. Um, I don't know, the Spanish, probably? Hannah Blackman, you are a <laughs> blacksmith's dog who, unbeknownst to the blacksmith, the people of Jamestown, or really anyone, mm-hmm. is on a seditious mission from the Spanish. I'm stealing stuff around town you in are st- to ruin the colony. You Got are it. stealing files from the governor, and then to cover your tracks, your literal tracks... You are dropping those files in the little cubby hole of a nice boy who recently moved to town. Yeah. He doesn't hang for that for some reason. Ugh. You go back to steal more documents because it went so well the first time, and you figure this mm-hmm. time you can pin it on him. But the case you take only contains National Treasure, Changing Tides, a Gates Family Mystery, number one by Catherine Hapka. Yeah. Knowing what you know... Would you read it in black and white because you're a dog? (laughs) Good thing the book's in black and white anyway. Um, Yeah, I think I would. I I think if I had like a 14-year-old nephew or something who liked history, I'd be like, boy, are these the books for you? I think it's fun. I think it's engaging. I think the clues don't make a lick of sense, but that's kind of part of the adventure is like you have to roll with it because you're theoretically not as smart as the characters who are figuring it out mm-hmm. right so i do think they're well written i think Catherine has like a nice historic voice and perspective it was fun to have real life characters pop in and out i love when that happens so yeah i liked it and i would read it if i was a dog great we didn't say what happened to jasper he gets arrested for trying to kill Matachana. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He super, like, holds her, like, hostage with a knife to her throat and he, is like, like give me the treasure. Being like, give me the treasure. Give me the treasure. And everyone else is like, whoa, dude, that's fucked up. Yeah. Great. And it is. Yes. Indeed. Ugh, Jasper. Um, Andrew. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You are Sir John Rolfe, okay? Mm-hmm. You have gone to the Virginia colony in the hope that you can develop a strain of tobacco that's going to make you a fortune. Great. And some people don't believe you can do it, but you have faith in yourself Wait, you're and telling your me I went to the new world in the hopes of prosperity? Yeah, you did. Okay. You I'm trying did. to imagine a character like that in this book, but... I know. It's it's a reach, but I'm asking you to imagine okay. if you could. Okay. So you have planted your tobacco fields, and now it's kind of a waiting game. Uh Uh-huh. 
right? So you could go talk to the local Indian princess who you think is pretty and interesting. Mm -hmm. Or you could read National Treasure Changing Tides, a Gates family mystery to fill the time until your tobacco has grown and is ready to harvest. Would you read to fill that time? National Treasure Changing Tides, a Gates Family Mystery by Katherine Hapka. Look, we know that <clears throat> I, as a host of a novelization and tertiary tomes podcast, exists sort of of two minds, right? Like, <clears throat> I enjoyed reading this book because how weird. Spinoff books from National Treasure that don't involve the main characters, they take place in the past. There's a lot of stuff about this book as a project that I find really interesting. I don't think I actually enjoyed reading it so much um i don't know that i would be actively recommending it to people i i think that i want an aspect of this book to be stronger and as we go forward into books two through four i hope to find that one of the aspects is stronger i either want <clears throat> the interpersonal stuff and the like culture stuff and whatnot to feel more lush to feel more fleshed out or I want the mystery to be more of something where I'm like, whoa, that actually is clever. That actually got me. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Right now, yeah. with its 260-page uh, length or whatever it was, the, the you know, 100 pages of clues that are sort of scattershot and the 100 pages of uh, character development that is, is, needs to either be less or more. Mm -hmm. uh, isn't working for me. And and mm -hmm. I look forward to reading number two, number three, number four, because how weird, how cool. I mean, I legitimately, like, I, I was, it was a page turner in the sense that I was like, where is this weird ass book gonna go? It wasn't a page yeah. turner in the sense where I was like, I'm loving it, you know? Yes, I do know. So this is a don't recommend for me, but... You know, for a child, I would be curious. And I really racked my mind before we started this series. I was like, can I commandeer anyone's eight-year-old? And the answer is no. I don't I don't have a relationship like that in my life. I don't either, as it turns out. Yeah. I do think, like, when I mentioned to my beloved parents that what I was reading now was these National Treasure spinoff books, they both were like, oh, how interesting. I love those National Treasures. Remember that part in National Treasure where they have to do X, Y, and Z? And I think it would be fun to be able to say, like, yeah, well, guess what? In one of the National Treasure books, they have to do X, Y, and Z at Jamestown. You know, like, I'm looking forward to, you know, they have to work with pa Paul Revere to ride a clue across a whatever. Like, <laughs> I think that kind of engagement with history I find really fun and compelling. I don't know. Maybe it's my special relationship to the National Treasures, which is that my dad and I did that tour at Mount Vernon one time. Right. You kidnapped your dad with the little, yeah. the little hole in the basement. In the hole in the ground. Um, which, which, speaking of real. which, if, you, if you're not aware that we have an episode on National Treasure 2 <laughs> from like Which has a novelization. We just didn't read it. Well, we'll do it at some point. It, it, it would have to be a crumb <laughs> because it's so short. I have it on my shelf. Mm. It's so short. Me too. And it's... Uh, it, you know, it, it, we wouldn't have too much more to say about the movie, but we could do it. I'm just saying. We did a whole episode on something that has a novelization and just didn't bother to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just think is funny. Like, we could have just been like, okay, we're going to read it and just like get it out of the way. But mostly we're right. talking about the movie and we just didn't do I just that. didn't know it existed. That's, that's my bad. No, dude. 
It's cool. Anyway, check out our, our episode from, uh, I want to say like February. I don't know, April. I don't some, know. Something like that. God, time flies. Time man. flies. Uh, to our listeners, well, first of all, come back next week. National Treasure Midnight Ride should be a good time. It's set during the Revolutionary War period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you couldn't tell from what we've already said about it. To our listeners, please do rate our podcast. Please do review it. Please do subscribe. Please do tell your friends. We also have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash authorized pod. And as usual, I'm going to round out the episode by reading a passage from a classic piece of literature. And if you would, if you could, please tweet at authorized pod if you feel that you know what this is from. What is it, Sam? Elizabeth asked. Do you believe you've figured out the latest clue? I think I might have, Elizabeth. We've been thinking about the cannons at the fort and how they were named after kings, right? Right. Well, we've been thinking about kings of England, but what does the actual text of the clue say? Hal looked down at the paper before him. It says, An 1,100-page book that you pretend to have finished when you really got 100 pages into it were bored out of your skull, and now use as a prop for your window AC unit. That's it, said Elizabeth. I see just what you mean. It's not a real king at all. It's the Pale King. Good night. Hannah, when we did our National Treasure Changing Tides episode, yes, uh, I felt a little unprepared on the historical front, mm-hmm. and you came with many facts about Virginia, well, which I grew was, up I there. mean, yeah, it was essentially episode saving. <laughs> but I am a fragile man who can't take being upstaged and so oh, okay. i you would like to punish me by making well me play i'd like a to game. humiliate you on your own turf so oh, okay it might backfire oh my god all right so this game is called so you think you know virginia but can one ever know oneself Oh, we will see what kind of questions these are and what so I know. to our listeners of course you can always find these games on the instagram uh they're just powerpoints that i throw together uh but they're often quite beautiful yeah the concept here hannah is Mm -hmm. that i am going to ask you about virginia yeah and either you will get more questions right than wrong making you the winner Mm -hmm. or more questions wrong than right making me the winner okay and the real winner is of course the beautiful state of virginia so beautiful yeah Virginia Trust is for lovers. You. I don't think I've ever been. Six Emperor Tyrannus. Wow. It's a great point. Um, and it's on this slide also. It's on the flag. It's part of our seal. Up first, what is the state insect of Virginia? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
That's not the kind of stuff I know about Virginia. Well, you might not do so great with this game. I know a lot about Virginia history and its roads. But if you're going to ask me fucking state insects, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to know these. So I don't Look, know I know, I know the Connecticut state insect. What is it? I do not know. It, it is the praying mantis. That's cute. It is. Uh, they, they got into our house a couple times when I was a kid and like we weren't allowed to kill them because it was technically illegal. I don't know who's enforcing that. The but police. Yeah, they love to. There's so many. There's so many praying mantis revenge shootings in yeah. in Connecticut. Uh, okay, Hannah. Any guess? Any insect come to mind? Um, I kind of want to say that it's like a a crocid. Is that an insect? Is it is, of I'm course. The tiger, tiger swallowtails, swallow which mm-hmm. is a, a butterfly. Yeah, I should have known that. Like actually, that. we used to get those near my house quite a bit. This is how I learned that butterflies are insects. What else would they be, dude? Birds. <laughs> Andrew leading over Hannah. Up next, what is the state flower of Virginia? Well, I know the state tree is a dogwood that does flower, but I don't think that is the state flower. Is mm. the state flower a daffodil? Mm, so your guess is daffodil? Sure. The state flower is, of course, the flowering dogwood. This is a... Okay, but I did preface by saying... So can I have the point? Uh, It is... I'm taking the point. I did know that the dogwood is is a flower. I mean, you did double dip on the guess, but yes, I'll give it to you. I have a little dogwood tattoo in honor of Virginia. Okay, she has a dogwood tattoo. I have to give her the point. (laughs) I mean... Thank you. It's like... That's that 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 that's like emotionally manipulative. Okay. Anyway, here you go. There's state. a picture of the flowering dogwood. It's a tree. It's it's the state flower. Yeah, and that flower occurs on a tree. Okay. All Just right. Saying. Andrew and Hannah, one to one. Up next, which of these wasn't written by Virginia Woolf? Not a Virginian. Uh, the 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 the. Game is called So You Think You Know Virginia. That's fair. The answer is... Um, what, so what age, options do we have in oh, front of us? A Room of One's Own, The Age of Innocence, To the Lighthouse, Mrs. Dalloway, and Orlando. And I believe that the answer is Age of Innocence, which was actually written by Edith Wharton. The answer is, of course, The Age of Innocence, yeah. mm-hmm. which was written by Edith Wharton. Thank you. Maybe I should get two points for that. <laughs> No. Nope. Okay. I, I mean, the dogwood thing was a stretch. <laughs> Up next, what is the state bird of Virginia? It's a cardinal. You, know, you ask her an insect, and she's like, how could I ever know such a thing? And then she just has the bird ready to go. I did have, I believe I did have the bird ready to go. Thank you. Yeah. This is, of course, the cardinal. Look how cute it is. Hannah now leading. Up next, uh, this is a, a, a two-point question. Okay. In this format, Hannah, would you read this prompt for the listener? Yes. In 1676, Governor Blank faced an uprising due to his suspension of Democratic elections in Virginia, as well as his unwillingness to protect his citizens from conflicts with the natives, among other grievances. This insurrection was known as Blank. This is really before my area of expertise. I was counting on that. Uh, (laughs) And you were right. You were really right about this one. Oh, geez, I really should know this. And at one point in my life, I did know this. 
This was shocking to me, like, before even revealing the answer, that part of Virginia's history is that the governor suspended elections of the governor. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, this was in colonial times uh, where the rules were a little loosier-goosier, and the House of Burgesses was doing its best. Um, Hannah, I don't suppose you know what we're looking at in the photo. Looks very familiar to me. I have provided you a clue to one of the answers. Hmm. Mm. Mm. I mean, it is a series of buildings. Uh, I don't think it's the Virginia State House. It's quite austere, yeah? Yeah. It actually... I don't know. I've actually spent very little time in Richmond, wherein the State House exists. Um, so if What if is, I told you yeah. that this is not a location in Virginia, but a place that shares the name of the governor? Well, that doesn't really help me very much. I thought it might, it? but... Because I don't know where this is. I, I don't know this place. Great. So the answers to these, I'm assuming you don't have anything? I don't think I do, no. In 1676, Governor Berkeley oh. <clears throat> faced an uprising due to his suspension of Democratic elections in Virginia, as well as his unwillingness to protect his citizens from conflicts with the natives. So we're looking at Berkeley College here. I've never been there. Me neither. This insurrection was known as... Bacon's Rebellion. Oh, Bacon! Of course. Ugh. Yes, Nathaniel Bacon. Nathaniel Bacon, of course. Ugh, stupid Hannah. Hannah, now tied, I believe. Uh, three three. I guess, I mean, I won't give myself two points for that. That seems psychotic. Oh. Okay. Right? Sure. Am I? No, because I think I would be three to two up on you. No, I have three and you have three. Oh, if great. You take well, two that, points for that this. really makes it dramatic. Three to three. I love it. <laughs> Okay. Up next, what is the tagline, the famous tagline for the Virginia Slims? The cigarette. You brought a lot of tobacco knowledge Mm -hmm. to the Changing Tides Mm -hmm. episode. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's true. Uh, I feel like I know this because they're really little and they're They're honestly unpleasant to smoke Mm -hmm. because there isn't enough tobacco in them. And it seems like from the marketing, from what I found, that it's all it was all geared towards women as buyers, right? Yeah. Hmm. Because they're like light lady cigarettes. Mm-hmm. There's a, and as as in this ad, every ad for them is a woman with with a bit of attitude, being like, yeah. "Yes, I am smoking." And it's a Virginia Slim. Um, I feel like it's something like like you've come a long way, or like. Something. I have got to give it to you because it is, of course, you've come a long way, baby. Oh my gosh! Yes. (laughs) Wow. I was really not expecting to get that right because your thought process was like, they're small, there's not a lot, ladies like them, and then you just like pulled the exact wording out. I thought you were going to be like, I thought you were going to be like, for a light touch of the smokes. Wow, this really speaks to the amount of time I've spent thinking about cigarettes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That was amazing. Whoa. I can't I can't I believe can't believe it either. That was a situation where as a, a teacher I'd be like, correct answer, show your work. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is broken. I think is all the work I can show. I hold on to weird stuff. All right, so Hannah pulling <laughs> ahead four to three. Mm-hmm. And in our final question. What film is Virginia Madsen in here? What the fuck? Are you kidding? The question, Jesus of course, Christ. is they're the, the 
the game, of course, is So You Think You Know Virginia. I don't fucking know. I don't you, know. You do. I you do? do. I barely this... know what movies this woman is in, period. Hannah, Virginia Madsen. I mean, yeah. what's, a, what's a movie that you know that she's in? None. Okay, what, what about like Candyman? You seen Candyman? Yeah. Okay, Virginia Madsen. Famously a blonde woman. Uh huh. We are looking at a photo in which she is in a like brunette wig with bangs. This is a very specific thing. A role where like her character uh-huh. is wearing a wig. Uh huh. And, and I don't know. I haven't seen And it's a movie that's like very much in your. I know you've seen it. I know for a fact <laughs> okay. you've seen it. It's very much in your wheelhouse as a consumer of film. Do you have a slightly zoomed out version of this picture? No, I couldn't get it to fit for the slideshow. Uh, it's an extremely cleavagey photo if you get any more zoomed out, um, mm-hmm. which is not why I zoomed in, but uh, it just uh-huh. is. <laughs> Googling it now. Yeah. You're just going to see the I'm doing the, the smallest amount of research. I don't think I'm Googling Virginia. I'm not Googling Virginia Madsen dark hair. I'm Googling Virginia Madsen, and I'm going to look at that filmography and see if I can figure it out. And I'll take no, a you'll half abso- point. If that's not fair, you'll absolutely figure it out if you look at the filmography. I don't know if that's true. I don't know it, if it that's is. true. It is true that you will figure it out. Go ahead. Well, I'm I'm going to do it, and if you then decide that it's not right, then I'll let you know. But she's been in a lot of flippin' movies. You really let me down, Anna. I, I thought for sure this was a layup for you. Well, this, this, is, this, is, this one is so specifically a gift to you. And yet... And yet... Okay, is it the number 23? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the number 23, okay? I I thought for sure you'd have this. You're like the Schumacher, you know, Stan and Chief. I know, but that sucks, and I hate to say this because you know I love my man, Joel, but number 23 (laughs) is, like, so low tier. It's, like, one of the worst. I can't give you this point. I'm sorry. Well, I think I should get a half point because I almost said, is this the haunting? No. I, unfortunately, because I didn't I have, know! I have to declare this one no. a tie between us, but I'll see you in a well, future episode. I'm going to take a half it. point, half point for both wow. of us here. So that gives me four and a half and you three and a half, which means I win. Wow. All right. Well, I guess, I guess the, the record will have to show that two different records were created. Yeah, and I, the victor, am going to write the correct history. Mm-hmm. Also a theme of the state of Virginia. 